0: All right, everyone. Um, here we are. We're, we're live, and I'm about to pull off something that, as little as 10 or 15 years ago, only a, a true James Bond supervillain would have been able to do, which is to, you know, take control of the airwaves and broadcast themselves all over the place. Um, I've got a, a, a ooh, I have to turn that off. There we go. All right, bear with me. It's the first first time I've done this. Last time I did a live broadcast, it was when I was launching the um, cash flow forecasting and business plan writing program. And uh, it was Google Hangouts was the interface then. And so now the interface is through Zoom, which is what is going to allow me to have guests come just like a normal Zoom meeting if you've ever been on one. So here are, are some of the things I'd like to point out to you guys. Is that uh, there is a delay. So there's a 20 second delay between what I am saying in the real world and what you guys are watching out there. So I'm just going to send an email out to the list, which will go onto Twitter and Facebook to let everyone know that we're starting. Um, you can comment on the YouTube feed, on the side of the feed. But I will see that 20 seconds after you type. Yes, that's how it works. So if you type a question or a comment in there and I don't re- respond to it right away, that's why. There's a 20-second delay. Um, perfect. Let me get my screens all set up here and, and we can get started. All right. So if you're out there and you're listening live, and I can see that there are people already starting to filter into the room, um, would someone just put something in the comments? Because I just want to see that I'm able to. I'm able to see it. Um, the first guest that I have lined up is going to be Mike Finger, who is from ExitOasis.com, and Mike has been on my channel a few times, talking about helping people get ready to sell their businesses, and so. What I've asked each of my guests to prepare for today is a little bit of a, a story about something that's interesting that's happened to them in the past year, or like a story regarding a client. And um, And we're also going to maybe talk a little bit about what we expect for 2020. And I've also dug up a few things uh, that I have on a screen here, some interesting news stories that I think will be uh, kind of interesting if uh, if there are any gaps in the conversation as we move forward. Um, but to begin with, I want to remind everyone, um, this is on YouTube and a lot of the people that are subscribers on YouTube are not on my email list. And earlier today, um, I actually had a conversation with a fellow. It was the ninth holiday chat call that I recorded for the holiday chat chat uh, feature this season. And so for those of you who don't know, Uh, Holiday chat is when people get to buy one of my consulting calls, an hour-long consulting call at a severe discount. Um, But in exchange for getting the discount, I use that call and put it out on the YouTube channel and the podcast. However, it's only released to people that are on my email list. So if you are not on my email list, uh, go sign yourself up either at my blog site, davidcbarnett.com or uh, directly at davidcbarnettlist.com. You can check off the categories of things you're interested in. And whenever I send out emails, which often is every day, um, I only send them to the people whose interests align with the topic of the email. So, oh, let me let me see here. I see. Hey, I, I, I'm starting to see the comments. That's great, guys. So remember, there's a little bit of a delay. But I see Don Luis Guerra. Uh, any plans on doing training in Chicago? I would love to come to Chicago. Um, I was in Chicago a couple of years ago. I took a big train trip from Portland, Maine to San Francisco. And of course, I uh, had a couple of hours in Chicago, went to uh, the art museum and to this place. It was like this deli on a street with the L train going over it. And they had all these old pictures from the like 1930s, 40s, 50s of all these performers, including Marilyn Monroe. Apparently, it's, it's a famous place. I can't remember the name of it but uh, people would go in there and have dinner when they were performing in the local nightclub. So it was really, it was really cool. I remember, um, I remember the food though. It was this amazing hamburger. Um, I see Damien and I see Victor Haven. Um, loving my book, Franchise Warnings. Thanks, Victor. Um, one of the things we have lined up here today to talk about actually is um, a franchise opportunity that someone had sent in a question about. And uh, Vince, I see you on there too. So, um, yeah, Mike should be here any minute. Um, what I did is I staggered the guests to come in at different times and there's going to be overlap between them. And my mind, in my mind, what I was thinking was, you know, like the tonight show with Johnny Carson and different guests coming in and talking with each other. We'll see. We'll see at the end, if it's anything like the tonight show. Um, But the idea is for it to be very lighthearted and to give people, um, because there's so many people out there who end up having to travel over the holiday period, um, is to give people something that they can, if they can't watch live, to download and listen to when they're driving the car and stuff. And we are going to be talking about business stuff, which of course is what I'm interested in. And my, my four guests that I have coming today are all interested in business. And I know that you guys are interested in business too. So, um, let me see, I'm just going down my list here, holiday chats, 20 second delay, Mike is going to be on any moment. And as we're talking, if you guys have any questions, comments, or want to bring things up, um, yeah, feel free to use the comment box there on YouTube. Um, you know, Victor, you mentioned franchise warnings. It's interesting. Uh, Whenever I go into the Amazon backdoor, like the place where authors can go to see the sales and things, what's interesting? Oh, there's Mike. What's interesting is that um, I can actually see the sales levels of the different books, and the majority of book sales are Kindle and audiobook. But as we get closer to Christmas, I can see paperbacks and what they call expanded distribution, because. Um, You know, people can walk into any independent bookstore or Barnes & Noble or any kind of bookstore and ask for one of my books, and it will actually get shipped out by Amazon. Mike, can you hear me? I can. David, how are you? I'm great. Uh, Merry Christmas. Same to you. Same to you. Coming through okay, I hope? Yeah, well, I think so. Uh, I was just telling everyone that 15 years ago, you had to be a real James Bond supervillain to pull off like a global broadcast like this, And, and now I can do it with my Zoom subscription. Right, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I even decorated. Uh, well, so did I. I tried to come up with the best, uh, most festive
1: uh, oh. picture I could come up with, and uh, <laughs> it, it was the one you used to
0: promote the, uh, the
1: YouTube Live. I, <laughs> the antler. It, it made me smile.
0: Those antlers were were given to me. The, the um, Do you have the Progress Club where you are?
1: Uh, it doesn't ring a bell for me.
0: It's a service club. It's like Rotary or okay. and sure. so there's a chapter of the progress club here in town. And one of the big events that they do every year is the antler breakfast. And so it's right downtown at one of the big hotels and all the business people that work in the offices all go to this thing and you, you buy a ticket, it's 15 bucks and you're served breakfast and you all kinds of breakfast food there. But when you go in, everyone is handed one of those sets of antlers and you have to put it on. And so like the mayor and all the radio station people and all the bankers, everybody's sitting there with these silly antlers on And this year there was no school on that day. So I brought the kids and I I could tell that they were really impressed. Like (laughs) wow, this is crazy. You know, all these grownups in their suits and ties wearing these silly antlers. So what a great equalizer, right? We're all, we all look ridiculous and
1: uh, (laughs) let's have a good time. (laughs) So how has 2019 been for you? 2019 has been good. I've, uh, I've learned a lot. I've uh, seen a lot of uh, activity and growth um and uh no it's been it's been a a, a great year. How
0: about how about for you? Uh, it's been a a year of growth for me as well. I, um you know all the different things that I do have I've seen an increase. Yeah. Um but the um the, the big question I wanted to ask you because you used to be a business broker and I used to be a business broker and and I took what I learned from being a business broker to try to create a new kind of business for myself. And so have you. And you're working with sellers to help them get their business prepared and then helping them choose the right method or 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 in some cases a broker to help sell. And um, how has it been trying to create something new for you?
1: Oh man. It's so funny you should ask that. I, I, I promised myself after the last startup I did, never again, right? Uh, because there's just so many unknowns and so many things that you start and you think this idea has got to work and then you see that it works, but it just half works and it's the half you didn't expect. It, it just, it gets weird really, really fast. Um, but uh, You know, it's one of those things where it was an idea and a concept, and I knew if I just let it sit in my head, it was just going to ferment until my head exploded. And so, um, I—it was time to get out there. The reception has been great. I've been thrilled with the uh, feedback. Twenty twenty is going to be a double down year for me on content. Uh, Mm -hmm. Clearly, the. The need is out there for the message, and uh, that puts me in the place not dissimilar to where you are, where you have to penetrate
0: people's attention, and that is, uh, that's always challenging. So how has the appetite in the market been different from what you thought people would want from you?
1: Um, you know, I, I, I anticipated that there would be a, a fairly engaged reception from professionals in the industry and that has proven to be true my sense is is that there's there's a lot of brokers out there the messaging is resonating for um from the very beginning when i sat down with the concept i knew that the challenge was going to be how do you sell medicine to people who don't know they're sick
2: Hmm.
1: and uh, that's where i was as a small business owner thinking certain things about what it meant to exit a business Based on my ignorance at the time i didn 't know what i didn 't know, and so um, the uh, the wall to overcome there is a big one uh, right mm-hmm. it, it, you know once once it clicks for a business owner once they decide i 'm interested in selling well now they 're just voracious right and they they want everything and they want direction and they want to do it right and that's that 's fabulous um, for the business owner who hasn 't made that choice, uh, how you engage them and help them to recognize that the advantage of getting ahead of this um, is massive. It's the difference between being able to sell and not being able to sell. Uh, That though is a huge challenge. And again, having sat in that business owner chair for years, I have fires on my desk that are burning that people are coming into my office and throwing gasoline on and uh, figuring out how to sell the business is not one of them. I, I that's, that has an advocacy of one and uh, he's busy.
0: Well, well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, along the same lines, the way, the way I always thought about it when I had my brokerage office open, cause I was trying to get their attention cause I wanted to list yeah. their business for sale. Um, you know, selling the business is a top level strategic kind of thing. And, and the amount of time that most small businesses owners apply to top level strategic things is very limited because they, they're typically filling in many C level roles as well as middle management roles. And sometimes they're doing work in the business, right? And so if they've got all of these different roles that are mission critical to making the, the till ring, you know, with money, you know, whatever gets addressed in that, that tiny amount of time they can apply to that top strategic level of thinking is well, there's not much that can happen in there. And oftentimes there's other things, like you say, that can squeeze out the, the topic, you know, do, do we need to replace a vehicle? You know, do we need to borrow money? Do we need to go to the bank? Do we need like, you know, so many things that only the owner can do and, and they don't have the time typically, you know, they're, they're very busy. Absolutely, and it, what, what, what's been fascinating to me over the last year
1: has been, how my thinking about this has evolved. Um, this entire industry is defined by information, right? It's about what you know, it's about how you do it, it's, it's information driven, but I am more and more convinced that it's about intention. Um, because once the business owner decides that, they're gonna, that they wanna be sale ready, All of those small decisions that you talked about, do I need to replace a car? Do I do? Every one of those decisions gets slightly changed, right? I I view it a little differently than I was going to. And the, the interesting thing about it is if you have that intention, the information comes and then you make all of these little decisions a little differently and find yourself in a massively different place two years down the line. But again, how do, you, how do you get to that place of intention? And uh, that's, again, a journey that I've walked, you've walked with people. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a tough place to, uh, it's tough to pay attention to something that's not burning, right?
0: How, um, can you tell us a story of one of your clients you've helped this year? Oh, yeah, it's,
1: um, I, I think my favorite, uh, my favorite engagement um, what actually occurred at the end of last year, it was a client I'd been working with for about two years. Um, and during that time made a number of changes with her business. She sold at the very end of last year and we are connected on social media. And so while we've only, I, I think we got together once or twice over the course of the year, um, i 've had more fun than I knew I would watching her social media over the course of this last year as she 's gone from business owner to everything else right now my life can be different now. What do I want to do and just watching how that 's taken shape in the form of uh, pictures on the beach with her kids to uh, you know a new a new business engagement that she 's considering it just it, that has been way more fun than I, than I knew it could be. Um, and again, it's not like I'm, you know, talking with her every moment, but just watching the freedom that that created for her was, has been a lot of fun.
0: You know, um, you know, the, the holiday chat calls that I do, the the special one-on-ones, um, I, I just recorded one the other day and it's going to be released in the next few days to people on the email list. But it's, uh, the, the, the caller's main concern is he said, I want, to buy a business, but I don't want to buy a job. And I said, the fact that you are speaking about that is 80% of the battle. Because it's, it's, you know, for most small business people, when they get into that, they're they're daydreaming about the business is often a they're thinking about the functions and, you know, serving clients. And the guy who opens a pizzeria is thinking about spinning the dough with his hands. Sure. You know, and in, they're not thinking about C-level decisions being made, you know, in, in the back room where their office is. And so in the case of this particular client, um, how aware was she of the kinds of things that she should have been doing in her business? It sounds like she was very trapped in the day-to-day.
1: It, you know, it was, that, that was a big part of the journey that we took together the previous two years, going from a place where she had managers to a place where she had a management team, uh, going to a place where she had an open door policy uh, f- for dealing with employees to a place where she didn't have an office in the office. Um, and, you know, it was those sorts of things where it, it created a very tangible difference for her um, for and for her managers and for her employees so that when this transition actually took place, it was... Uh, not only not a surprise, I think, but also uh, so much smoother than it could have been. But I, I'm interested. What what do you tell that caller? What what do you explain to them about? Because I, I'm a firm believer that when you buy a business, especially if it's, it's in an industry you don't know, you'd better be ready to dive into the deep end uh, for a serious amount of time before you uh, it, you know so you can learn the business. What, what what's how how did you direct?
0: Well. The, the, the question was about how to eventually become an um, an absent owner or an owner who's away most of the time. Sure. And so what we ended up talking about is the difference between, um, you know, I, I look at businesses that have a lot of locations that are not independently owned. So if you think about gas station chains, right? Exxon, hundreds yeah. of gas stations. Yep. Each one has a, a manager. but But that's not where the skill set, lies in running a chain of gas stations. It's the next level up. It's the regional manager who's looking at the reports from all the gas stations because they are overseeing what the managers are doing. And so if you're going to own a business and not be there, that's the skill you need to have is how can I look at some pretty summarized information and understand if things are being run properly in the business. And you ever watch that show Bar Rescue?
1: Oh sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there was one episode, what's his name? Taffer. Oh, I don't John, recall. Jim Taffer. I think Jim Taffer. Um, he was in Chicago actually. And, um, and we have a live viewer from Chicago as well, as well as from India and Daniel just joined as well. This is kind of cool. Um, <laughs> so John Taffer was in a bar in Chicago and they were, he was doing his old makeover thing where he was redecorating and changing things and one of the issues with the bar is that the owner um was was an older lady and she would come in at the busier times of the week to help right help and so basically she would get in she would get underfoot and she would she would get a, you know interrupt people and ask questions and stuff and at the end of the makeover when John Tafford and the manager we're giving the playbook for the night, you know, who's doing what, who's filling what role. She was like, so what do I do? And John turned to her and said, well, dear owners, actually can do their job from home.
1: Time for you to leave. and he sent her <laughs>
0: home. Right. And, and, and that is so true. If everything is set up correctly, you know, the owner's job is to meet with management and figure out, are we hitting our numbers? Are we achieving our, you know, goals and, and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Just, just like over at the, at the big, uh, big companies, you know, the president meets with the board and has to report to them. And eventually if you can get things running that well, well then you can retire without even selling the business. Right.
1: In fact, I, I want to, you did a video I know, um, talking about, why a manager run business might not be as attractive to a p- potential buyer as you think it is. And, and speaking to that exact point, right? Cause yep. that, that concept that, Yes, that's the role for the owner, but it's the informed owner. It's the one that can get the five-minute call from the manager, mm-hmm. get three key numbers, and understand all of the implications of those numbers and direct because of that. And to, because, to, to,
0: because he was the manager for 30 yeah, years. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I can sniff something and know what it means um, instead of having to spend three hours diagnosing. And that's uh, you don't get that overnight. Um, no,
0: no, you don't. And and the the place where I really saw this in action is I had a, a business buyer named Tony who bought four different businesses from me, and he was a v, he had a job while he was buying businesses. Is that right? And, and he had been a VP at a major energy company, and the way that he was vice president is he had many different department heads under him, and so how would he manage them? It's through this kind of very very same thing, and this is where his skill set came from. So every one of those departments had like a weekly report, summarized activity report, so he could quickly see what was happening. And then whenever he bought a business, that was the first thing he implemented was the same kind of summary report so that he could see what was going on. It was very cool. So for 2020 then, your aim is going to be to increase the amount of content you create. You're You're going to do a regular show or?
1: Uh, No, not a. Boy, I got to tell you what I've done enough of the podcast guesting over the course of the year, which I thoroughly enjoy, to know I never want to do what you do in terms of the hosting side. (laughs) (laughs) I I just the 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 meat grinder that that represents the constant need to generate. my brain doesn't quite work that way. And so uh, sometimes I find the stuff just flows out easy peasy, and then sometimes there's a two week lag where I'm like, what in the world am I gonna talk about? And so the curation that I do on the site, your stuff, other stuff, um, again, the promise we look to make to our uh, subscribers, to our, our, our viewers on the site, is we look for the best stuff on this topic that we can find on the web. I'm egotistical enough to think sometimes that's my stuff, but quite often it's other people's stuff. And so I can find good, I can find good content and not have to create it. That's, that's a win for, for the readers.
0: And of course we're talking about exitoasis.com. That's, that's the, the website, which um, if you have a business and you're planning on exiting a great, great resource. I appreciate that. Uh,
1: David, tell me what, uh, tell me what you see 2020 being. I, I'm, I wanted to figure out a good way to ask you the question. And so here, here's my, here's my question to you. If somebody sends you a check for a million dollars, David, based on your perception of what's happening in the economy and what 2020 is going to look like, what do you do with the money? Are you going to bury it in the backyard? Are you going to rush out and buy a business that is it going to be in the market. What's, what are you doing with the money?
0: Well, I certainly won't be buying any European sovereign bonds at negative interest <laughs> rates. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's such a, a different uh, world we live in. So, I I was there's there are several podcasts and and things that I listen to that are related to what I do here like my show and everything, but they're also just related to my own personal interest and one of my personal bits of interest is economics and, and learning about markets and stuff like this. And so I, I listened to this one report, um, McIlvaney update. It's a weekly show from a guy in Colorado. And, um, so he was talking about these negative interest rates and he was at a conference in New York city where there was a speaker talking about the, the unmanaged investments. So there's all these new apps now on your phone. And, and they feature very low fees because there's no, there are no people working, right? And so a lot of investors, particularly millennials who are very comfortable with this technology, they're signing up for these app-based investing programs and they'll put money into it and they'll simply buy indexes, mm-hmm. right? And so <laughs> so what he was saying, because I still can't figure out who would buy a negative interest bond, Right. So the indexes, so some company out there, some management company creates a, a global bond index and it's just to track the overall performance of bonds. So if the government of a country like Germany has got a lot of bonds out there, then they're going to put that in the index, right? Because it's, it's important to the nations of the world and Germany issues a lot of bonds. So now Germany's bonds are in the index. And then if Germany decides we're going to issue a negative interest rate bond, well, guess what? That bond gets put in the index and guess who ends up buying it? It's the people who are putting their money into an index fund because there's no one making decisions. right? And so the people who create the index are just are just including that negative interest rate bond. And now the computers are directing people's money into that bond simply because it's in the index.
1: Settling up at the end of the day, regardless of what the day brought and
0: well it was a big eye opener for me because i was like oh right so basically nobody's choosing to buy these things someone's figured out how to sell them hmm. and 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 <laughs> that's a common theme that i keep running across in in many different places is that you know there are there are things out there that help people buy stuff and there's things out there that help people sell stuff and usually the money is made in selling of things right and so there's a lot of great technology gimmicks, et cetera, out there that are all based on helping people sell stuff. And it's not necessarily good for the person who ends up being the owner. But David, you told the people what you wouldn't buy, but you didn't tell me what you were going to do with the million. Well, you know, I, I, I guess I don't look that far into the future because, you know, actually um, on Monday, a pre-authorized debit came out of my bank account and I got to go fill in the last three boxes for my 2019 financial goals. So I hit them right at Christmas time. Congratulations. Thank you. But I'm more focused on, you know, how much I'm allowed to pay down on my mortgage and how much I want to set aside into my kids you know, education plan. If I had a million dollars, well, the first thing I do is max all those things out. Check, 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 check. I, I don't know. I, I would probably um, have to consciously take a little break because I think that because I don't deal with a million dollars all the time, I would be worried that I would make improper decisions. I think a little vacation would probably be in order.
1: Do you find that you,
0: I I mean, you deal with
1: a lot of uh, prospective buyers. do you deal mostly with helping them execute or do you find your bias or personal opinion about what the next 10, 12, whatever months are going to bring? Does that influence the, uh, the insight you provide?
0: Yeah, because I'll, I'll bring up questions that I don't think people ask themselves. So, you know, for example, if anyone brings up a business that's related to the uh, healthcare industry in the United States, one of the questions I'll ask them is they'll say, what, what way do you think the elections might go? Right. Because you know, when we think about political risk, we usually think about developing countries. But I think with respect to healthcare, there's political risk in the United States because you have a big faction of the, the political conversation about making drastic changes to that. Right. and. I don't know. It could make opportunities for entrepreneurs, it could close off opportunities for entrepreneurs. But when people are looking at buying a business to support their family and achieve their financial goals, one of the things that they are looking for is a stable cash flow, right? right. And and the stuff that could, you know, triple next week. I mean, that's the that's the Silicon Valley stuff, right? right? I mean, that that is the speculative stuff that most people who are taking their savings and borrowing against their home and from the local bank that they don't want to get into something that's speculative. That's right. right. Yeah. So I hope that yeah, answers your question.
1: Well, no, it, it feels like when I look at next year, I feel like I have a fair amount of stability for 10 months and then who knows, right? Who knows what happens after that? Um, it seems like the, the election we're facing represents a, uh, an opportunity for, anything on the spectrum to occur and be perfectly justified and have everyone look and say, well, why didn't you expect this to happen? Didn't you know that it's a, um, I I will say that when I look at 2020 and beyond, I have to feel like small business owners that have been thinking about selling, but not engaged the topic, have not moved forward, have not listed that business. If they're in their late 50, mid sixties, um, I think we're going to look back on this last couple of years as a golden age of selling a business that uh, mm. um, might be pretty, uh, pretty unique historically. Um, easy money. Um, uh, it's it's really cool to be an entrepreneur right now, right? It, it's yeah. Uh, um, so it, I wonder,
0: uh, I wonder how many are going to end up regretting that they've waited. Well, I lived through the last one in my brokerage and the, so the last downturn was basically 08, 09 ish. Right. Yep. And I was in my broke, I started working in the brokerage in 08 became the owner in 09 and got out of it in 11. <laughs> and so um, in that period, What a
1: lousy time, what a lousy time to
0: take that challenge on, wasn't it? no it was a it was the it was a good time and and interesting and, I think, and this interesting. is why this is why I don't necessarily i think that you're right I think that if things turn down and we've had ten years of of growth on paper, you know the numbers that are publicized have been yep. ten years of growth and everything is purported to be good. there are people out there who have alternative ways to calculate inflation who say it hasn't been so great but um you know. It just typically doesn't go for longer than that.
1: No, we're already well beyond the time it typically goes.
0: Right. So we're due for this downturn and in, you know, so the sellers may regret that they didn't sell when all their numbers look great and they had year over year growth and record profits. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you're a seller and you miss out on this, you may be a little bit regretful, but the, some of them will simply wait. You know, and maybe they, the IBBA report that I looked at a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a comment in there um, which talked about if sellers don't act now, they may have to hang on for four or five years. That's what I saw back in those years. People were, I had to tell people their business was worth less than they thought. And they said, well, I'm just going to wait for sales to recover. So, so the market contracts, you know, because the availability of businesses will decline as some of these sellers simply won't move forward if they don't have to. And as far as the buyers go, it can create opportunities for more creative deals that would not normally be accepted in the market. You know, when sellers are out there that have a business that a lot of people could operate and they know that people can get 90% financing at the SBA, they tend to want that deal, right? They say, I'll just wait for the guy who can qualify at the bank. When the bank changes the rules and all of a sudden the money isn't as easily flowing, then you have to be more creative. And that's what I took out of that period of time. I mean, um, in one, there was one year, I think I did nine deals with no business financing. Interesting. So it, some people refinanced their homes. They used personal credit, you know, to, to get their down payment together, but it was just their money and the seller holding a note. And, and so showing the seller why they should take those deals and why it made sense and encouraging the buyers to make the offers when a lot of them felt shy about making that offer, you know, I, I learned the kinds of deals that really do get done. Yeah. And, and they're still getting done. I was doing research for a client on uh, plant nurseries recently, um, and it was in a, one of the northern states, so very seasonal business. And there's a database of SBA deal data that is available out there. And then there's the other databases Um, that you probably used when you were at Sunbelt, which are broker generated data. Sure. In the broker generated data, I found three transactions in the last two years that were 50% seller finance, which you won't find if you look in the SBA deal database because it's only deals that were done under SBA, you know, loan programs, right? Sure. And if you look at the financial press and you look at the small business press, nobody's talking about all the businesses being sold with 50% seller financing, but there they were three of them. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so the deals do get done. Uh, I see it with the business buyer adventure group program because I encourage people to make these offers and sellers who say, I'll never do that are countering with some degree of seller finance. So they will do it if they believe it's the right person. And so it, it really comes down to relationship a lot of the time.
1: It does, and I, I think you make an excellent point that really, uh, regardless of what the macro data is, this always comes down to a personal decision. It o- mm-hmm. always comes down to a, a, a set of personal circumstances and variables that impact um, why I make the decision. And yeah, yes, I might regret that I get X instead of Y for my for my uh, uh, my value, uh, but that I, I guess for me that.
0: Well, here's the other thing. And don't forget this. The multiples on small businesses are quite low. So a seller today who did not sell and didn't get top dollar still owned the business through some very profitable times. True. And so a lot of what they would have realized in a successful sale, they've gotten it anyway by being the owner.
1: Uh, you know, I th- I think that's that's an interesting perspective. What I challenge my clients to look at is not just viewing this as the peak of the mountain, right? The sale shouldn't necessarily just be you know reaching the top of Everest because there's plateaus along the way, and there's so many different. I, I I started with the story of the client who sold and now is finding these opportunities developing and coming available, and. Um, when somebody tells me why would I sell now, things are going good. Uh, that's the that's the reality that comes to mind for me, I think. Is that, is that really what it's about? Are we really waiting until the business is so painful? Because I'm sure you've seen people try to sell in those scenarios, and we both know how difficult that is.
0: Well, it's funny. And again, anyone who's who's watching this video, if you haven't signed up to the email list, you should because one of the holiday chat calls that I recorded is from a fellow who um, bought a business two years ago. He's worked he worked in it for twelve years, so he worked in the business for ten years. The owner of the business got the business evaluated for for a really high price. Okay, so he went to someone who gave him a little bit of a bad advice. Hey, Henry, how you doing? Hello. And um, so then they went to market. They were they were trying to sell it for years and they couldn't get anyone to bite at that price and and they started to reduce their asking price while the the ga- the foot came off the gas pedal and sales started to curve down and profitability started to curve down and the thing started to deteriorate and eventually this guy who was an employee in the firm bought it for he didn't say the exact price but he said far far less than the original asking price sure and so it was an inside detailed story and that's in one of the holiday chat recordings of of observing this and then the guy took advantage of the situation he ended up becoming the owner and then this one of the sellers there were there were partners one of the sellers became an employee of his so interesting he's in the i business. look forward to seeing it hello henry how are you doing hey
3: mike how are you doing well thanks
0: how uh, how are things uh, so in texas you guys don't have any aspiration for snow so do, 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 what What is Christmas decorating like in Texas?
3: <laughs> well, it varies. This year it will be warm. Tomorrow's supposed to be a picture-perfect day, 71 high. But in my 30 years in Texas, we did have one white Christmas. And that was oh, wow. about 15 years ago. Yeah.
0: And do people get uh, like spruce or fir Christmas trees? Is that a thing that people do?
3: that? Sure, yeah, absolutely. There's live Christmas trees. Often, uh, we've gone to an artificial one because we got tired of paying 150 bucks for a tree that died two weeks later. What? So, yeah, <laughs> 100. I guess. Well, to get a you know to get a decent size one, it's in that price range, even at even at like Home Depot. And I think it was the last year we did it. My wife, because you can return them, but you know, imagine that, right? Taking everything off and returning it. You're not going to do it. So we just got tired of that and got an artificial one.
0: Because about four or five weeks ago, if you were to drive on the highway around here, you would see truck after truck after truck yeah. of these Christmas trees Coming all tightly bundled, stacked up, heading <clears throat> for those places. But uh, sure, I, I, even I, when I
3: growing up living in Miami, we used to get a real tree sometimes. Then my sister developed had an allergy for it. So there went the real Christmas tree. But yeah, even even in South Florida, people do... Live now dead Christmas trees.
1: <laughs> when when we uh when we bought our 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 home years ago, uh, it's a small farm. We have fifty acres, and the the previous owner had just planted twenty acres of Christmas wow. trees a few years before. And I don't remember how many thousands of trees. And we were actually at the closing for the uh, for the home, and he he asked, "Well, are you planning to sell the sell the Christmas trees?" I said, yeah, you know, I think we'll, I think we could do that. And he said, well, do you want to pay me to trim them this year? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you have to go out and trim every tree every year. You
3: have to groom them.
1: Exactly, exactly. And uh, then I told him I didn't think we were going to be selling them as Christmas trees. And we've just watched (laughs) them grow and spread since we bought the place. Interesting.
3: And I only say that because believe it or not, there are tree farms, and I don't know what type of pine tree it is, but there are Christmas tree farms in Texas
0: oh wow okay
3: and that's right for no other reason that we need to prove that we have everything in texas <laughs> <laughs> but there is such a thing
2: oh,
0: that's still funny henry um you know mike and i have been talking about buying and selling businesses and and uh, you have some big news from 2019 about about a business that you sold. Why don't you tell everyone about that?
3: That's right. Uh, myself and my partner David Begin, which Mike knows. Mike's been on on both my show and on David's the How a Car Washing Show. So we sold the three car washes. Now that was primarily David Begin's business. He had had the initial two locations for, I believe, 12 years, highly successful. I mean, top top percentile per, uh, performance units. And then I had been kind of a de facto partner of his for years. And then we finally invested together in what was his third location. So we had that one open for just a year. And then it was just an, one of those things an offer we can't refuse, couldn't refuse anyway.
0: So, so this ties into what Mike and I were just talking about because I, I listened to the podcast you did. And, and, and for anyone listening, it's the how of business is the name of the podcast. And I'm sure you're on all the platforms that people would use. That's right. Um, the, the where you described because the buyer of the car washes was a private equity firm. Correct. Right. That's and right. so Mike, Mike, this gets back into your point about, you know, things go really well. There's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of liquidity and what has been happening because of the, the public, the publicly traded companies, the rates of return are going so low. Mm-hmm. People are jamming money downward you know, to the smaller and smaller businesses. And, and Henry here has been one of the beneficiaries
3: Yeah, and and we were in an industry that is highly fragmented even still. There is no national chain of car washes, for example. Mm -hmm. And so there's a tremendous opportunity there. There are approximately, the count, anybody will tell you about 25,000 what we call tunnels in just the United States. The largest chain has about 300 units. So that tells you, and there's only one or two, maybe three big boys in that number of unit range. And then it's individual owners like myself and David begin. So there's a tremendous opportunity for mm. consolidation economies of scale and building a, at least a regional brand. And so that's what a lot of these people are looking to do.
0: So, I mean, around here, car washes often go on the same property as gas station, convenience mm. store type type businesses. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm surprised that one of those sort of big fuel names ha- or, or uh, would one of them be one of these
3: big players? They're not because of course their layout, the type of car wash that they have is like you said, in combination with their gas station or convenience store. And the ones that we've built that what's mostly been built uh, as far as standalone is what's called an exterior express, which is that you as the customer pay at a pay station. It might be automated. There might be a person there. You stay in your car it It washes the exterior, hence the term exterior express just it's the masss around you well, well not actually in ours it's a tunnel which okay. gives you the the proper efficiency of the right equipment and a good quality wash, and then when it spits you out the end, you optionally can vacuum for free, mostly as the model now. Okay. So that model is what's been built up in the last 15 years and really has expanded the market. It used to be you either had to choose from that quick wash at the car, at the gas station where it, it came over you. And the quality there was poor at best, but you kind of had to get the stuff off your car. That's why you did it. And it was relatively cheap because you got a discount when you filled up. Or it was the full serve where you 're paying a lot more money, those still exist, and they they serve a, a need in the market still, or the self serve where you get out and you had the wand and you yeah. did it yourself, and nobody wants to do that really so this exterior express model came about to serve the needs of somebody who wants it 's still an impulse buy mostly it 's quick you know the line moves fast, uh, I can vacuum myself if I want to, and I still get a pretty darn good wash for you know, anywhere from a starting point of $7 to $10 in that range. Yeah. So, but as to your question, though, it doesn't tie into what a gas station is looking for because on our land, for example, there's no room to add a gas station.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and then, so just a, a curious question. Obviously, when you and David built the, the car wash, um, you were able to operate it and get a certain rate of return out of your investment. How well is a new owner going to do?
3: I you know it's a good question for with the multiples that they're paying they're they're looking at this as you alluded to David at, with a different investment model that's above my pay grade right they're breaking it out they're holding the equipment separately they're refinancing this they're putting the real estate in a different so so they're looking at it in a different way than an individual investor would. Mm-hmm. And they have a different exit strategy as well, which might include going public or selling out the portfolio at some point that has scale. Yeah. So the way that they look at the so The numbers, multipliers change. Exactly. You, it's a yeah. whole different model than what I'm certainly used to looking at as an independent business owner.
0: Well, congratulations. That's, Thanks. That's yeah. That's big, great, awesome news.
3: Yeah, you know, it it was an interesting thing, and we talk about it in that episode. The emotions behind it were the bigger challenge than the numbers, right? It was, from a financial perspective, it made a lot of sense. But the emotions behind it were, I think, more difficult to get through.
0: So, um, even for you, because you weren't there all the time?
3: Yeah, because, yes, because for me, in part, it was different than David's emotions, for me, it was I had just I spent it was a two year development process to open that third wash. And I acted as the project manager on it. So from the day that we put an LOI on the piece of land to the day we opened was just over two years. And then one year of operations. So I felt like I still hadn't gotten the return on that sweat investment. Um, now when, when we sold, of course, I got a return. It was positive, but I felt like, boy, I needed this thing to breathe for a while to make some money and generate some cash flow yeah. to reward me for that investment I had made right well
0: mike you you had you flipped a couple of car washes didn 't you I had yep yeah, and so how long was the period that you ended up owning them between buying and selling
1: uh, The one was uh, four and a half years, the other was three and a half years uh, i was I was operating I was pursuing both on a five year exit. Um, but both uh,
0: happened a little bit quicker than, than I had planned. So, and so, and cause I remember you, you had done um, an article recently talking about how you actually just put something on Craigslist and you found your buyer. It and, was, it, it was, it was a weird one. Yeah. And, and Henry had, had you and David actually gone through the process of putting your businesses up for sale or were you approached by these guys?
3: We were approached. And this was the second one. We went through a first opportunity that died. And so that was an investment, emotional as well as of time. And it fell apart pretty deep into the process. So in both cases, David was approached.
0: Yeah, okay.
3: Uh, And by more than two. So we, we were fortunate in that regard. We're in a market, the car wash market is one. Or if you've got a decent location and operation, you're going to be called on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've heard this from people in, in different industries that, you know, in, in some industries, people are telling me they're getting mail and phone calls from, from mm-hmm. family offices and PE companies and all, all this kind of stuff. And then um, and in some industries, it's crickets. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I've got one of, uh, one of the guys who's in my adventure group coaching program is up in Saskatchewan. And in his, uh, he did a, a letter writing campaign and got like a 7% rate of people calling him back, like out of the letters he issued. And that was one of the, like people, people had never heard of anyone going knocking on doors before in that offering
3: business. Offering to, he was offering to sell his business or looking No, he was trying business. to buy.
0: He was trying to trying locate to businesses where people wanted to sell. I see. And so That's he was saying. just a letter saying, I'm looking for a business in your industry. And if you have thought about selling, give me a
3: call. So and is that 7%, is that good or bad?
0: Uh, direct response marketing 2% yeah, is
3: good. Exactly. So that that sounds pretty darn good that he got a yeah. 7%. And yeah.
0: And it was because there's very little activity like that. I see. Patricia, I saw that comment. We'll have none of that in here. <laughs>
3: I didn't see the comment, but it must've been good.
0: (laughs) Um, We're on a 20 second delay. So she'll, it'll take a little minute before she hears the, uh, the chastising. Um,
3: (laughs) But speaking of uh, the broker, my previous business that I sold, which has been now about five years, I did go through a broker for that one.
0: Oh yes. And that was the sweet salon business. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, So and, and the other big news for you for 2020 is you've now gone and invested in something new. Correct.
2: Yeah. yeah we, wh- uh,
3: I've invested with my cousin. I was his business coach in him finding a new business, vetted a few uh, opportunities. And it's interesting because for me, when I started that process with him now over a year ago, I I don't lean towards franchises because I feel like, you know, I'm really critical. What can I get out of it since I've got experience? Mm. But this franchise really impressed us. It's called Office Evolutions and it's a co-working. There's a lot of different titles for what they do. But think of WeWorks, but we're not going after necessarily the millennial crowd or the high tech or the startups. We're looking to be and we will be in a more suburban setting serving the traditional one to five person business. Like we're already doing pre-leasing and I think we've got like four attorneys so that, you know, that's a perfect Mm -hmm. fit. So we'll offer everything from, I just need a business address and I'll pay a monthly membership to that, through a private suite that I'm going to lease for a year and everything in between, including a membership that would give you just access to our shared space, our co-working space.
0: Yeah. I yeah. <clears throat> there's a, a coffee shop and a co-working space actually near me. And um you know I I do a lot of writing you know, for the content that I put out mm-hmm. and sometimes when I'm here in my home office all day every day I sometimes feel lonely. And yeah. so I'll, I'll just go because I want to work with other people around me. Not That's a big part of it. Yeah. You know, not necessarily for interaction but just to have that buzz around you a little bit, you know?
3: Yeah. And that's what people are saying. You know, it's, it's interesting for me. I've homed office now for gosh, 20 years and I love it, but I'm the rarity. Um, and, but even I have seen that I got to get out there more, but most people who even home office and because, because that's becoming a more popular model at all levels, whether it's your own business or, or working for a corporation People miss that social interaction or just being around other humans, and a lot of times a coffee shop isn't quite conducive right um, or a place to meet your clients or those kinds of things so it's a, It's tricky because there's so many people going into the space right um, so you have to be very careful about location that gives you a little bit of protection against or some kind of barrier to entry to others. And We Work has has really uh to some extent hurt it because they mm-hmm. expanded so rapidly and they have these huge spaces that are sitting there empty. Well fortunately, it, yeah. they've mostly gone into urban settings and and we're looking yeah. for more suburban settings.
0: I think there's more to the We Work story though, than and I think the, the story is starting to unfold because I think oh, yeah. I think that you know the, the, wasn't the president or the CEO also buying buildings and then, Oh yeah, no, it's a mess.
3: And he's been ousted. Um,
0: yeah, there's an element of, of sort of personal engineering for his own benefit that's gone into there. That mm -hmm. isn't necessarily, you know, managers working for the benefit of shareholders all the time that's been going on there.
3: No. And all that got exposed as they began filing for their IPO, which which never happened. Um, And he's been ousted since. But nonetheless, he's impacted the market because, you know, they've come into areas and they're taking over an entire building, you know, in Manhattan, they've got entire buildings that that are sitting there empty. So it'll be interesting. So that does impact negatively the space. But nonetheless, I am bullish about it. I'm excited about it. And so that we will hopefully open our first location in March of 2020.
0: Okay. And that's uh, along the coast, sort of uh, north of Fort Lauderdale? It's a,
3: yeah, inland from Fort Lauderdale. That's right. A suburb called Plantation, which is about 20 minutes from downtown Fort Lauderdale inland.
0: Okay. Yeah. And anyone who mentions your name gets free coffee?
3: Absolutely. <laughs> free coffee, free donuts.
0: All right. <laughs> well, Mike, before you go, and since Henry, we got you on, on the line here, I have another question about franchises that was submitted. Uh, by one of my readers who got my email the other day about today's special event. And it's an interesting question because he's, he's asking, you know, the dry cleaning industry is, is facing this decline. And it's funny because I went looking for data on that and I found an article from a website called racks, which was a, like an industry publication, which has since gone out of business. But there are, there are, so the industry publication has closed down online. It's yeah, never one, a good side. <laughs> and and uh, their archive just happens to be still active. And they're talking about casual day at work, fast mm. fashion. So there are ladies now who are buying dresses for $40, $50, and I, I think would rightfully hesitate to spend 12 or 15 to have them cleaned. Right. And, and, and so all these things are moving against dry cleaning. Right. But the question is, why is Procter & Gamble spinning up a new franchise in the Midwest, Tide Dry Cleaners? Interesting. And they're trying to leverage the Tide brand name. And I thought, I went and looked at the website and, you know, that big round Tide logo is featured prominently on these locations. Mm-hmm. And when I go down into the become a franchisee section, there's all kinds of information they're obviously trying to recruit. Interesting. And, you know, what do you think of
3: that? It's a couple of data points to add to that before I try to answer the question from my perspective. But another thing that, that's factoring in that just dawned on me is my daughter, well, she did her internship in New York City this past summer, and she took advantage of a place called Rent the Runway.
0: Mm. And so
3: for a membership, she got to rent outfits and she doesn't have to clean them before she returns them. Mm-hmm. So they're they're in again. She was wearing, you know, all kinds of fashion items that she didn't have to worry about getting dry cleaned. They just returned them dirty, and then I'm sure they've got a facility or a contract with somebody. Yeah? Um, but the other thing is I've seen an emergence, and this was one of the businesses with my cousin, as I alluded to, we were looking at was the coin operated laundry mats. Right. I'm starting to see those. And there is one franchise out of Florida, they're just in their infancy. I'm starting to see those pop up in neighborhoods that you would have never thought you would have seen a coin operated laundry uh, place in my suburban city where I live, which is mostly, you know, middle-class and above, we have one and it's doing well. So I don't know. It's interesting. I got to think that part of it must be a, a branding effort on the part of tide perhaps to, to position themselves as the go-to for anything related to cleaning at Maybe well, it has something to do with that. I, I, I was I was
1: uh, I, I was actually kicking the tires on uh, on an opportunity here a couple of years back, where I had located uh, two or three dry cleaners that were for sale within mm-hmm. a distance where I looked at maybe being able to you know combine and and each of them happened to be the and were sold as the only dry cleaner in town. Interesting. The problem was is that there was a hidden. Um, a competitive market there because yes, they were the only dry cleaners in town, but there were turns out three grocery stores that had pickup and drop off for dry cleaners ah, uh, it, that they had. So, I mean, there was a, there was a hidden uh, competitive marketplace there that didn't Bring with it the chemical question and the mm. hazardous material question and, right. okay, I'm going to buy this site that's been a dry cleaner for 25 years. What's in the dirt, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are huge issues in that industry in terms of uh, the, the, his, the history that comes with it and the fact that right. the, the small grocery store just sent them out in a truck and brought them back two days later. Uh, huge,
3: huge impact.
0: Well, I, I think that, you know, Henry, what you said about the car washes, I think also could be said about the cleaning business. Absolutely. There's a lot of mom and an opportunity there, yeah. Right? So a brand like Tide could certainly, you know, be, bring recognition, it, you know, like McDonald's does. If you're in a strange town and you see McDonald's, you already know what the food's going to taste like. That's right. right. And, and But at my first instinct when I saw the building with that big Tide logo was coin up laundry as well. And it it doesn't appear to be there, but I know a little bit about coin op laundries because I sold one and I did research into opening one myself at one point. Okay. And the, the business really is in the wash and fold and in the ability to better serve certain households. So um, I've lived when I was younger, I lived in an apartment building and we had one washer and one dryer for like five units. Right. And so if you want to do your laundry on Saturday morning, you're probably going to have to wait. And then you'd have to run up and downstairs and, you know, move one load at a time and your neighbors would be trying to jockey their stuff in too. Whereas if I went to the coin laundry laundromat, I could do four loads of laundry at one time.
3: Right. Knock it out. yeah. By
0: using four machines and then I could go and put them in three or four dryers and I, I'd be in and out and I would, I would actually drive across the street and wash my car while, while the clothes were, sure, were sure. in the machine. And so, I also know that in a, in a nice suburban neighborhood where almost everyone already owns their own washer and dryer, mm-hmm. there's still a big demand for the big machines, for quilts and sleeping bags. And, That's right. You know,
3: uh, Comforters well, and uh, whatever. Well, you know, here it's stuff. hockey
0: gear because no oh, no, no woman point. in Canada wants her husband or <laughs> to be putting hockey gear in her machines.
3: And here it's probably hunting gear, but yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, right. So it's so there's there's a a demand for those for those odd size and, and bigger pieces of uh, bigger machines. Um, I, I think it's interesting though because when you own a franchise. Like Procter and Gamble is getting into this, and and I looked to see if it wasn't somebody else who just licensed the name. Ah, yeah. Everything I found on there said led back to Procter and Gamble itself. Mm-hmm. Their business is not dry cleaning. Their business is what?
3: Consumer products, right, and, and serving that market. No, no, but
0: I mean in this franchise thing, their business oh, okay, is selling okay. franchises. Selling. Okay, I see. Right, I and thought so, you were
3: going to say they want to sell their chemicals and their products through that system as well. Well, they, right? they
0: want to do that too. But mm. but I think that a, a brand like Tide is going to convince a lot of people Absolutely. To, to, to put down the money to open one of these franchises, believing that the, the strength of the brand is going to be with all they need to be successful.
3: Agreed. Now, going back to the coin operator, which will be interesting to see if Tide is doing this, what I found in my research is that the equipment manufacturers Offer financing,
0: mm-hmm.
3: so I thought, wow, how compelling is that? That your biggest capital outlay for one of these, you're going to get financing from the manufacturer. And yeah, you might pay a little bit of a premium, but boy, I'll, I'll take that any day, right? If my, if my major capital outlay is I can spread out over a number of years, and that's the equipment. There's very few businesses where that's an opportunity, right?
0: Well, and and and, and like I said, wash and fold. The demographics are in your favor, absolutely because, um, when I convenience, was again, right
3: there, that's a convenience buy there. Yeah.
0: Well, but you're aging boomers. Yeah. A lot of them are going to want to, uh, Oh, someone just commented that PNG actually has a wait list for new franchisees for this yeah. brand. <laughs> so, so, um, but I know that when I was a young man in my twenties, um, I was really missing my mom and her services. So I used to just drop off my dirty laundry at a, <laughs> at a, a wash and fold place and they would use the coin-op machines during business hours when they typically weren't busy. Brilliant. And they would wash and fold. So they were getting more utility out of those machines. And um, people like elderly people who don't want to do the, the chore. Um, and in fact, when I was, um, I volunteered at a private career college uh, two weeks ago now, one of the students was proposing a business like this in a more rural locality that had mm. no... A Coin op service at all. People either had to drive into the city or impose upon relatives to, to do laundry. Um, I, I've seen Coin op do really well too as an extension of an existing business. Yeah. Sort of, sort of your gas station convenience store with
3: mm, interesting
0: laundry, right? In that case, you don't necessarily need an additional employee. Right. The, the, the clerk can keep their eye on what's going on in there.
1: The, exactly. the second wash that I, that I owned and subsequently sold, car wash, had a, had a um, coin laundry uh, operation with it. Um, it was a larger service facility. And uh, everything that we've been talking about is true. And then there's the question of, of the math of profitability because, to your point, part of the reason you get that equipment financed by the manufacturer is because mm-hmm. it's really expensive. Sure. And you've got to do an awful lot of laundry to start seeing a return um the i uh, i've seen a lot of those facilities that get built by some other professional the doctor the lawyer the uh airplane <laughs> pilot uh they they they're looking to and they and and again you, if you if you re- you look in the material there what you're going to see is that these places get built for a million dollars they get sold Two years later, for seven fifty, mm-hmm. they get sold. Three years after that, for about three hundred, and that's the guy or gal that actually has an opportunity has to an make opportunity. some money on it. Yeah, yeah.
3: and you're um, touching on something that we see so much. Everybody wants the, you know, uh, the no. I don't have to be there full time. What's the term for that? But but you know, the the passive owner. Yeah. Everybody's looking for that magical business that doesn't require me to be there that much.
1: Absolutely, and I'll leave you guys on on this note. The uh, uh, You talked about the car washes earlier, and I just wanna point out it's a very different endeavor to own a car wash in Texas than it is to own a car wash in central Wisconsin. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to try to thaw out a bill <laughs> acceptor with a hair dryer when it's 30 <laughs> below. Not an experience that I need to replicate again.
3: No, I can imagine.
0: So. Okay, so I don't know if you do this in Wisconsin, Mike, but the 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 self serve car washes where you use the wand and the brush and you clean your own. Oh yeah, yep. Here, um, you have to extend the foundation out into the parking lot, and it's called an apron. And you have to heat it. Heat it. Yeah, that's that's we
3: had to do that at the exit of our wash as well. We had to do that, otherwise cars would slip off.
1: Absolutely. That doesn't mean that the hill coming out of the exit doesn't right. turn into an ice skating rink and right. yeah. just it's amazing what can freeze when you've got a water-based business.
0: Well, and and when you when you're in a cold climate, you know, the the when now you're talking about energy consumption to heat outdoors, yeah. right? And and there's some car washes around here that will simply close for a couple months in the winter. But that's when the salt's being applied to the road. Yeah, our
3: busy season was the winter. Now the front range, as they call it, where we were in Colorado Springs in Denver, you would think it wouldn't be, but it's a prime location weather-wise, because to your point, what's fortunate there is we don't get these freezes that last months. We get a storm that comes through, one or two days of snow, and then the next day it's sunny and people wanna get that stuff off their car. So the winter was our busy season.
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely, same true. Cool. Well, thank gentlemen, you, Mike, it's been such by. a pleasure. I'll let you continue your conversation. Uh, thank you again for the invite and uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to, to both of you. Thanks, Mike. You too.
0: Merry Christmas. So, so Henry, um, you know, you talked about your business sale. Uh, what else has been going on? You have a regular weekly podcast. I do. And what changes have you seen over
3: the course of the past year? And there's Mark. Um, as far as the podcast goes? Yeah, You know, one of the things I'm starting to see and worry about, you know, the big challenge we have with as podcasters is discovery, people finding us. Now, I'm fortunate that I'm at a point now where, where, you know, the word of mouth kicks in and then I've got pretty good traction. But I'm worried about, David, that the when I look at, I'm fortunate if I go now, you know, iTunes redid how they group things and they've got the entrepreneur category, which I'm in. And they've also got to the bottom right, the top shows. And I'm fortunate to in business, in the business subcategory in top business shows, I'm usually in the top 200, which is what they rank there. So that's great for me. In entrepreneurship, I'm usually, on, that's a smaller list. I think it's the top 100 shows. But if I look to the top of that list, more and more what we tend to recall pro casters, right? So right. the latest NPR show or the latest whatever highly produced celebrity show that's pushing us farther down on that list. And I just worry that it's going to become all about professionally produced shows. So that's one thing that I'm seeing that, that I've noticed this past year.
0: Well, that's interesting. Uh, Mark, uh, for those of you in the audience who don't know Mark, Mark is a, a coach that helps coaches with their coaching businesses.
3: He's my
2: coach now.
0: <laughs> is is that is that correct, Mark? Is it a lot universal? of
2: use of the word coach in one or two sentences, but yes, for lack of a better term, yes. And hey, you,
0: you are you have been podcasting a lot longer than I have. I mean, you started more than I have,
2: yeah.
0: You started with a Daily Show. What year was it, Mark?
2: It was November seventeenth of twenty fourteen. So we just passed the five year mark recently. Yeah,
0: right. And so, and so, what do you say about that? About uh, Henry's concern about the more professionally produced stuff. They had better Christmas decorations
2: than mine. That's for sure. <laughs> now, that
3: is pretty. I just noticed that. That is sad,
2: but whatever. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I was going to pop in like one of the ghosts of Christmas past or future <laughs> or whatever. We'll do a whole Scrooge uh, theme. Um, I, I get. Ex- I know exactly what um, Henry's talking about because even if you compare, looking at the uh, cover art, it's a good example. Like back in the day, in 2014, it looked like a three-year-old did all the cover <laughs> arts. And, if they even had cover art at all. And this is right. some of the top shows. They were bad. Now it's very professional. It's very slick and all that. Uh, that being said, I think because it's available to everybody, it's a very democratic platform. It's not like uh, it's not like a, a TV. You have to own a TV studio to, to put a show on or something like that. So I think there is still going to be room for the quote normal people, but I definitely noticed a lot more, uh, professional outlets and characters getting on there with their shows. I think overall that's great though, because it's, it's bringing podcasting out to the masses more than it was before. Yeah, well, great.
3: It validates the platform more, right? Yeah. yeah and, and, and when you can start to buy
0: a car and, and the stereo system in the car is geared towards people downloading, listening to podcasts, it, it exactly. widens the market. I know that I still meet people who say, Oh, I heard you had a podcast how do I listen to that?
3: Yeah. Does it cost right. money? How do I, how do I do that?
0: Yeah. So there's, there's still a penetration thing going on with where, where new people are coming to the market, but I'll tell you secretly why. And it's a secret because the only people that are going to hear this are the people that are watching and the people that watch the recording. And to your point, Henry, it's a, it's a very small group of people. It's probably mm-hmm. only going to be a few hundred, maybe a thousand or maybe a little bit more. Um, if everyone was watching, the stuff that we produce then the opportunities for our listeners would be diminished because the ideas that we disseminate and the, the sort of things we reveal i think are real valid information and people who take the time to go looking for it are going to benefit from it you know mike finger just left but he and i did an analysis of a the most popular youtube video about selling a business where a guy was jumping around, like full of energy, talking crazy talk about how you're going to start a business and sell it for a hundred million dollars. And I, we were watching it and I was like, if this is the, the sort of content that the average person is going to watch, then, then you know, that's great because the masses of people need to be distracted by something.
3: Mm-hmm. It,
0: it's not real stuff.
3: But it's right. your your point that as long as you continue to produce quality and put uh, put that out there, there's a hunger for that.
0: Yeah, and and the people who want it are going to seek it out. I I remember twenty years ago, I I was interested in the secondary real estate note market. So and and like um, what are they called uh, tax claim certificates and things? And they do this in Texas, and there's a yes. lot of secondary private property notes in Texas. Right. And, and I remember having to subscribe to newsletters that would come in the mail and find books that were written that people spoke highly about. And when I bought the thing for 90 bucks and it was shipped here, it was obvious it was printed at Kinko's, <laughs> right? And so I realized I'm accessing a very tiny, you know, part of the information world by, by getting, and, and that stuff now is on the internet. But right. still, there's not a lot of people looking there because not a lot of people are interested. And so if you're, if you're very, really niched down in your content, I, I don't think you're ever going to have a huge audience. But I think the audience you're going to attract
3: are going to be the right people. Yeah, that's, that's what you hope for, right? What's people that, that you can impact.
2: There's that thousand true fans uh, that's out there. Kevin Kelly talks about. So it it applies to business, but also if you're in music, if you're an artist, a writer, anything like that, if you have a thousand true fans, I'd argue it's even probably less a couple hundred true fans buying all your stuff. You can have a really successful business. So like you said, Dave, you don't have to go wide. You can go very narrow and, and deep. Sounds sounds dirty, but you know <laughs> we're talking about penetrating markets and stuff.
3: Yeah. Thanks for making it that way,
2: Mark. <laughs> I haven't hit the eggnog yet. I promise.
0: <laughs> you know my my children are ten and twelve, and and they watch YouTube videos as much as they watch Netflix. And in their entire life at my home, anyway, they've never had cable. Yeah, so, it's interesting. You know, th- when they see the uh, Dan Dan TDM, he plays Minecraft on videos, yeah. mm-hmm. and he just hit 12 million subscribers, <laughs> and they ask me when I'm getting my YouTube play <laughs> button plaque. And so I went and looked it up, and apparently you need 100,000 subscribers to get so do this. You smack this them plaque. at
3: that point for even insinuating that.
0: Well, I just crossed, I literally this week, because I've been promoting, you know, this event, I think I just crossed 9,000. Do you know fantastic. what you get? You know what you get at 10,000, Henry and Mark?
3: Hmm. I don't know if a little star next to your name or something.
0: A jiggling gif. I love that. They email you a jiggling gif that has YouTube 10k. Well,
3: they, they email it. I love
0: that. So, so I can't wait because I'm going to put it on my <laughs> blog. I'm going to download the gif and put it yeah. on my blog. But you know, the audience, I don't think my audience will ever be that big and it doesn't need to be because I get emails all the time from people who say, I've been watching your videos and it helped me avoid this dumb deal I was going to do. Or it helped me realize that this other thing was, was not a good move. And, and that just makes me, I mean, that enriches my soul. That's, that's what I want. That's what it's about. Yeah.
2: Do you guys want to start a channel where we'll do unboxings for like little, like, I don't know, (laughs) kinder surprises or toys or something? (laughs) <laughs> something we're going to need we need that or twerking like that. videos i don't know either or but we'll go with unboxing yeah
0: i'll tell you i was crossing my fingers hoping a certain box was going to arrive by today because i wanted to do an unboxing i bought myself a mike winnett 11x mug do you, i don't know what it, that it is you guys do you know what that is mark
2: mm-hmm. i do because you turned me on to the video i watched uh, his entrepreneur um, video it's, excellent it's,
0: Henry, it's this guy in the UK and he's basically making videos where he reveals the formulaic methodology that these online get rich quick kind of artists are using to to lure people in and get, sell big ticket programs that for the most part, most people don't really have an opportunity to, to successfully execute.
3: Right. What's his name again?
0: Mike Winnet. It's like winner, but it's a T instead of an R at the end. Got it. And, and he, you know, his stuff that he's putting out has really exploded on YouTube. And, and the comments are incredible. The people saying that they've spent thousands of dollars on get rich with real estate things and, you know, get rich with day trading and get rich with cryptocurrencies and all that kind of stuff. And what's interesting is Mark and I live in the same town right. and about two hours away from here was the home base of Uh, I I pulled up the article because I thought I might want to talk about it today. Um, Quadra CX. (laughs) Quadra Quadra CX was a crypto trading platform. Okay. And so people were putting, people put millions of dollars into this thing. And it was being run from a guy's house just (laughs) outside Halifax, Nova Scotia. And he was in India on vacation when he died. Oh. And the the coin wallets that contained the Bitcoin only he knew the password to. Oh, my okay. Goodness. So so tens of millions of dollars of people's money in the exchange were basically lost. Locked yeah, locked up because of the password problem. The the his heirs became de facto directors of the company. Went to bankruptcy court to get a trustee put on to try and and find money to satisfy all the account holders. Well, you know, all the big financial players and all the big criminal guys in Canada are all up in Toronto. So they all flew down, went to the court in Halifax and asked for the case to be moved to Toronto and the court agreed. Okay. So that, that's fine. That happened months ago. Last week they all had to fly back to Halifax because all of these people that are dealing with the windup of this exchange, they're, they've asked the court to exhume the guy's body oh my and you can you can guess why
3: to see if he had it on him tattooed on him why or see if he faked his death
2: too you want to make oh. sure it's
0: really him oh, so see. so it could turn out that the whole thing is a giant scam, oh and you know what we were we were just saying as mark entered the conversation about you know, about the coin laundry and about the people saying, I want to get into something where I can earn money without having to do anything. Right. It's the same uh, sort of sales pitch that's being done with, um, you know, the uh, the people getting into all these get rich quick schemes.
3: But you know, to to be honest, it's always been uh, a lure that humans are attracted to, right? I mean, from the initial Ponzi schemes back in the twenties, I think is when Mr. Ponzi did his thing. We, we've always had that uh, inclination for get rich quick, some kind of quick fix. Yeah. Uh, but, as, but as Mike Finger was pointing out, what you see a lot of times is people who want to keep their day job or other career and then do something on the side. And I think that's, those are the people that are more susceptible to that. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and you know, I, I think there are, you know, sort of side hustles that people can do. I mean, Absolutely. My business that I have today started as a little side hustle. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark, you probably have a lot of people that you work with who have some kind of day job or other thing that wanna get into the coaching business, right?
2: Yeah, well, my coaching business, I started, I had a, as you know, Dave, from us being friends, I had a a sales gig with the telecommunications company here in Canada. Now, luckily it was uh, based from home, Mm -hmm. super flexible. I could get my stuff done in about two hours for that and then work on my coaching. And But that provided an important runway in the early days till coaching got rolling with it. So I've often said that if, as long as you have, say, 20 hours a week that you can really give to the business and be actually doing it, not playing Candy Crush or Farmville or anything <laughs> like that, uh, I know people can get more done in 20 hours a week than people who are, quote, working 80 hours a week. They're not working. They're fighting about politics on Facebook and doing lots of other stuff. They're not working for a full 80 hours a week.
0: What is, is uh, candy crush one of the biggest challenges to having a successful coaching business?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Cause I don't know if it's as big anymore. I think uh, impeachments cost entrepreneurs probably a couple hundred million in the last <laughs> week or so. I'm thinking if you put as much time, energy, and passion into your business as talking about impeachment, then you would all these people you'd be rolling, right? Well, it's easy for you guys to
3: say because you guys are on the sidelines of all this. and Well, Yeah,
2: there's a lot of Canadians that are um, wasting their time on it, too, uh, on both sides. <laughs> yeah. But uh, pro- probably won't get all political, Dave, on you, I promise. I have certain feelings about impeachment, but um, a lot of uh, Canadians are diving into it. I'm thinking it's not even your country. You know, maybe you should work on your business. So that being said, I have a vested interest, as I'm sure, Dave, you do, too, with a lot of clients in the States. Um, I want your economy to continue to roll like it is rolling. And and I'm hoping for a certain result in 2020, but that's all.
3: (laughs) (laughs) To bring it back to business, I think what happens is we naturally look for distractions, especially when it gets hard. Yeah. Uh, So you can be busy. Exactly. We, we've all seen this in our coaching business. I, I've only recently started my formal coaching business, but I've been volunteering with SCORE for over five years. And, and there I'll see a lot of people that'll come for one visit. And then, as I say, when it gets hard, they disappear, right? And right. so I think that we naturally look for, boy, this, just wasting some time on some YouTube videos is a lot easier than doing the work that I know I need to do. And so I think that's where the exposure is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I said something to a client today because uh, I'm really big on the consistent content creation and putting it out every day, every day I'm making offers in the places that I'm at, you know, like Facebook and daily emails and so on. And she is having a bit of trouble with the holidays and things sticking with the one offer a day with it. I said to her, I said, just imagine I had a briefcase here uh, full of cold, hard cash, a million dollars. And I said to you, if you post, uh, once a day with your offer for the next 30 days at the end of 30 days, I will give you this cash. Uh, the million bucks would be all yours. Would you take it? And she's like, well, yeah, of course. So I said, well, I don't really, am not offering a million dollars, but pretend I am. (laughs) (laughs) And keep that in mind as, as we're going through the holidays. Well, when you say, it's a little busy, I got a family gathered, whatever you do have to play a bit of a Jedi mind trick on yourself. Um, and that's, uh, my little mini Luke Skywalker Ah, uh, from when he was a hermit on the island and all depressed. But uh, (laughs) speaking of Jedi mind tricks, you do have to play a Jedi mind trick on yourself. And there's a little one. I know it sounds silly, but I have told clients, imagine there's that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the briefcase with a million bucks. If for 30 days you stick to whatever and, and build those habits.
3: Yeah, to me, this is one of my big things when I work with aspiring uh, first-time business owners. It, it, discipline comes into play, but sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice of what you currently do today? You know, for some people, that's, am I willing to sacrifice sitting on the couch watching TV? And sometimes even mm-hmm. it's about sacrificing some time with the people that you'd like to spend time with, right? what are you willing to sacrifice? Because if you like going back to the point of you're starting a side hustle in those 20 hours a week, probably you have got to sacrifice the other things you were doing with those 20 hours a week, right? And sometimes it's after you've put the kids to bed, and now you work another few hours, or it's on the weekends, or it's when you would have been watching football or whatever it is. What are you willing to sacrifice to get that million dollars at the end of the rainbow? Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's interesting because we have a little comment that just popped up. It was quite apropos from one of the one of the viewers who's telling us that we should be spending the day with our families. But you know, uh, I'm divorced, and so my kids are with their mom today, and I get them uh, tomorrow afternoon, and I have them for the next couple of days. So I, I won't be working in that time. I will be spending time with the family. That's but good. you know, the whole thing about driving my business is to you know, uh, create information that people are going to find useful so that when they're ready for my services, that I'm the one that they want to work with. And so, you know, organizing this thing today, I thought would be fun and I'm having fun. And, um, you know, I mean, I I can see my email from here. I mean, as the day (laughs) has gone by, the frequency of new emails arriving is just slowing right down. I mean, everywhere out there, it's Christmas Eve, the whole thing is grinding to a halt. You know, businesses are closing early. And so, if I wasn't doing this thing with you guys, uh,
3: I don't know. I'd doing- well, be I, drunk I, I, in I the corner
2: somewhere. I, exactly.
3: <laughs> I think it's a great prompt because this is something I'm so passionate about. And I know you guys are as well, David. So, my, my daughter's in town from college. She got home uh, last Monday. So, not this past Monday, but the Monday before. She's, she has a month break. And I like, I did some work this morning. I did some work over the weekend while she was sleeping. I've got some calls I've scheduled Friday, but I have the luxury of for Mm. the most part for these four weeks that she's here to spend as much time, more time than she wants. Right. Like she needs a break. like she's upstairs now working on something and she's like, dad, I'm good. We're going on a cruise, a week long cruise that starts on Sunday. So I'll be gone for a whole week. Tomorrow we travel to see family I am able to do that because mm-hmm. of my, because I own my own businesses yeah. yeah, and I have made certain sacrifices, but this is what it gives me is, the time with my family so just because we're here today and we have blocked out this time doesn't mean that we don't have ample time yeah. with our family and to us, this di- is the the end game is the time that we that it does give us yep. yeah yeah but right.
2: full disclosure i mean dave, dave and i've been friends for years henry i know you so if it was yeah. joe blow who i didn't know that reached exactly out, says, hey mark on christmas eve do you want That's to right. pop on and do it i was know Knowing me, I probably would still. I, I don't like to get rusty if I'm taking too much time off. <laughs> but but it, it's, day, you know, with you guys, it's a little different. Uh, Seth Godin told a story once. He was in a hotel lobby somewhere warm and, you know, whatever, on vacation. And he had his laptop out in the lobby and uh, husband and wife walked by. And he overheard her say to her husband, oh, isn't that sad? He's on vacation. He has to do this. And uh, what Seth Godin said is actually, no, what's sad is that that couple has to work for 50 weeks of the year so they could get their two weeks a year off at a Perfectly job that they said. probably hate. Yeah. Now, I'm probably butchering it. I'm kind of just giving the summary of it, but that, I always remember that story.
3: No, that's a great, that's a perfect summation of it um, is that, that that's what it's about. Yeah. I, yeah, I would absolutely. much rather be taking time where it makes sense. And I'm not sacrificing much of it all with, with personal time to continue building a business. And to Mark's point, I only did this because I know David and I thought it would be fun and I have the time. If we had been traveling, I wouldn't have said, I would have said no. But yeah, that, that's what it's all about is the flexibility that this gets us. And I get to do this again and again and again, you know, I went up, we went up for a parent's weekend to my daughter's senior year. So it'll be the last parent's weekend and we were the only parents that got to go. We were almost up there for almost like a week, right? We weren't squeezing in on a Friday afternoon and leaving on a Sunday. And listen, that's what you have to do. I'm not, I'm not uh, downgrading that. I'm just saying I'm fortunate that that's what this provides me. This lifestyle lets me do that. So spending time with family is what it gets for all of us.
2: Yeah, now we're going to talk about her ex-wives for the rest of the show we, <laughs> I don't have one yet <laughs> so I don't
3: have one to talk about you will again. today exactly. after you're,
2: you're here on Christmas Eve you might get served with some papers so I to you get off here <laughs> damn Mark that's, that's harsh. <laughs> I've had uh, the door locked so maybe. <laughs> I actually and, and my ex and I get along really well they invited me to play Risk and uh, the board game her and my little guy are playing and I said no I'm actually hopping on here but I will be uh, opening gifts with them tomorrow morning so I'm not going to be under the tree, uh, doing a Facebook live or, you know, to, uh, type it out emails, I'll actually be fully engaged for today Hey, it's Christmas Eve, you know, it's not That's Christmas right. day.
0: So, so I just finished over the last couple of weeks recording nine of my holiday holiday chat hour long conversations. Um, I think most of them are with people who want to buy a business and most of them, when we talked about motivation, number one, motivation, more control over time.
3: Of course. I mean, I think that's, that's the number one thing that freedom of time and location, I think is top with most people that you talk to that either have a business or or aspire to have a business. What, what's sad is that we also talk to a lot of people who are in a business that's consuming them and they've ended up with a, you know, worse paying job than the one they had before that that's where, you know, we try to help those people and it's unfortunate. Um, but all, you know, also I had a coaching session yesterday with a client and wanted to get it in before the end of the year. And it was so rewarding just to hear how much I've been able to help her. And so when we get that feedback, like you talked about earlier, David, that you know, that makes it worthwhile as well. Hey, before I forget, I, I want to come back to the question about franchising when, when you're ready, because I have some further thoughts on franchising. So, let Well, me sure. Know uh,
0: Mark, before you came on, we were talking about uh, Tide. Procter and Gamble and Tide have created a new Tide dry cleaning franchise. So what, uh, what did you want to add, Henry?
3: Just that on franchising, I've got a lot of experience there and I've helped a lot of people and I have, I've had uh, that topic on this show and I've done a webinar similar to the one you and I did on buying a business what I challenge everybody when they're evaluating the franchise because I also see so many people getting into bad franchises it's Mm. it's really depressing but there are four things that I would challenge you to evaluate when you're looking at a franchise number one is the value of the brand what value does that brand bring you either now or eventually so my office evolution is a good example they have a small footprint in florida but growing rapidly. We'll be the first one to open in South Florida, but there's already seven others lined up. So eventually Mm -hmm. there's a value of brand recognition for me. So that's one thing to look at. The second and probably the most important reason we go with a franchise is their systems. So the advantage should be that I don't necessarily have to know anything about that industry. The franchisor will teach me. They will train me. They will hold my hand. They've developed the systems. They've worked it out. And they've got a business model that if I follow the rules should result in similar results, right? So that system is critical, but but the system encompasses everything from that initial training to the handholding to the ongoing development of those systems. So that's number two. Number three is the leverage. So if we talk about the TIDE example, joining that larger organization might give me leverage over chemicals, equipment, what have you. That. As, you know, Henry's dry cleaner, I may not have access to. With OE, for example, one of the services I can sell is a phone answering service.
2: Mm -hmm. Well,
3: I can't build that on my own, right? I just can't scale to a a fully automated and live answered system that's going to answer the phone 24-7. But paying into the franchise, the franchisor can provide that for me. So that's an example of leverage that I can't do on my own. Uh, And then the fourth is the network. Even you have to look for that as you begin to evaluate a franchise, when you're talking to other franchisees, that network of support of other owners that needs to be fostered by the franchisor, that's critical to your long-term success. Will there be other people that you can pick up the phone or go visit if they're neighboring franchisees and you support each other, that's the, the fourth thing that I look for. So the brand, the systems, the leverage that it might give you, and the network. Not all franchises are going to deliver on all four of those things, but you evaluate those four things carefully to make sure you're going to get your return on investment.
0: I, I couldn't agree with you more. When, when um, you know, sort of the, the summary at the end of the, the book I wrote, Franchise Warnings, I, I basically said, you have to look at what do you get for the money you're giving. And you know what you said about brand, I I can relate. So many times, um, where where we are on the east coast of Canada, people will buy a franchise from Ontario or from the states, and there isn't another one for five hundred kilometers, right? And and this standalone person now is trying to create the brand recognition, and they're not close to other locations, and they're kind of waving the flag on their own. Versus the the guy, there was a guy here in town. He owned some Subway restaurants and he sold them and he opened the first Papa John's oh, now boy. he, it was the first Papa John's, but everyone who lives here who had, watches an American television network was totally familiar with the brand. Cause they've been watching right. the ads for a decade and have never had a chance to access the product. And the day he opened, he was busy That's because great. people knew it and they maybe had always wanted to try it. Maybe they tra- mm-hmm. tried it when they were traveling and knew it was a good product. And so, Big benefits, obviously, from that, and and product development. You know, um, being able to have those seasonal specials and and special offers and new products coming down the pipe that right. a lot of small businesses can't develop on their own. I, I agree with you, Henry. There's a lot of advantages, um, and, and there's a lot of bad ones out there. So you really have to be oh, careful. Gosh
3: so many bad franchises out there. It's, it's amazing. Uh, and people, the biggest mistake I see people make and the reason they go for these bad franchises is this huge myth that people assume, Oh, it's a franchise. I can't fail. Mm. It's amazing to me how often I see that or hear that as to the reason why they paid. You know, I was working with a client who paid an $80,000 franchise for a business that had, there's no way it could generate in any amount, any reasonable amount of time, a return to cover even the franchise fee, right? Absolutely. But it happens again and again. And when I ask these people why, they just, they don't necessarily say it in so many words, but they assumed it was a franchise it, it must be safe. Mm-hmm. They must know what they're doing.
0: The only reason I can think of this worse is the people who get into them because they like the product.
2: Oh, well, yeah, that happens with the food ones, right? Which <laughs> is hor- horrible for Tide. You don't want the pop and Tide pods. While they're, you know. oh, um, one, one thing we're seeing in our neck of the woods, Dave, I won't mention any businesses, but I have noticed some local businesses that have opened that are essentially copying popular franchises so they they were traveling somewhere in the states or whatever and like oh i like this restaurant i'm basically gonna do the exact same thing except it's not gonna be called that but everything else is the same
0: yeah, we have we have a there's a bur- there's a couple of burger ones around where there's big sacks of potatoes as you come in.
2: Ah, if you, same you colors, recognize so, that
0: from somewhere in the states. Yeah, it's ca- it's right.
3: called
2: Sex Guys. No, I'm just <laughs> something uh, like that.
0: Some number of guys. It reminds me of the Eddie Murphy film. Remember Coming to America, where he was yeah, the gonna African a, prince.
3: They're going to do a part two. He's already filmed it. Did you hear about that?
0: No, I didn't. But yeah. I just remember the restaurant he worked in, McDowell's.
2: Right,
0: right. Right. That's, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's
2: yeah. right. Well, I just finished uh, listening to an audio book about In-N-Out Burger. And, uh, of course, In-N-Out Burgers resisted the uh, calls to f- uh, franchise. They've kept That's it right. in the family. But um, they've had a heck of a problem because it's such a successful uh, restaurant. People are, like, fanatical, right? I wish we had one up here. But um, so they their legal department has been really busy with people opening up things like uh, – I don't know, in and go burger, you know, nice. the same colors and the same thing, everything all the same. And they've actually had people uh, working inside their kitchens that were then shipping off uh, samples like the meats and things like that back to Texas. Uh, Henry, <laughs> right? there's a case in your state. Um, yeah. Which is kind of funny to to hear that. So.
3: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, we did. They did come into our Dallas market about five or six years ago. And it it was a huge splash. I mean, lines, they had to have police officers managing traffic. It has since died down and it's nowhere near the craziness of it. So it's an interesting thing because, you know, there used to be such a California brand. I used to work for a couple of different Silicon Valley companies and that was the thing. And so when they came here, it was huge. And now it's, I think they're still busy, but nowhere near, Hmm. of course, there's no way to sustain that initial euphoria that, that came with it. Um, so anyway, that was my thought on, on franchising. And the the one of that four that really took me longest to appreciate is the networking part of it. And that really, as we were doing the due diligence on office evolutions, that really came to mind as a, wow, how important it is to have that network of other owners to lean on and to learn from.
0: It was helpful to me when I had my Sunbelt office, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. To be able to reach out and, and, and talk to other office owners. I imagine so. Hey, Rick, I see you joined Hey, I, today. Yeah, everything's going. I can't see your picture though.
3: Oh, okay. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's looking at as he's looking at this time. I think I've been on for almost an hour already. So. <laughs> time flies. So um, I think my slot is about up, right? Well, it, it's been great to have you, Henry. Thanks for stopping no, by. No, no pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great conversation, and uh, so I'll drop off now if that's okay.
0: Yeah, okay. merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, you bye guys.
3: Good bye. to see you guys. Thank you.
2: Hey Rick, how you doing? Hey Rick, I'm great. Hey Mark, how you doing, buddy? I am doing good. Thank you. Good so, stuff. Good
0: stuff. Sorry, uh, the um, I just wanted to introduce you a little bit, Rick. Uh, you have been on my YouTube channel a couple of times, mm-hmm. and uh, for for people that are watching, uh, Rick has a a, a, a a huge entrepreneurial resume i think you've owned is it seven different cafes restaurants etc over the years
4: yeah it makes me old i know but
0: yeah i have owned seven and you are also a partner in the roy h williams wizard of ad uh consultancy that's Did right I say that right okay
4: uh yeah wizard of ads
0: yeah and, and on top of that, you also are um, a coordinator for a local entrepreneurship development program for, for people that are trying to start their own business and, uh, and get into self-employment. So uh, thanks for joining us on the show today.
4: No problem. I'm bringing my buddy with me. It's, a, it's a, S, a, a SIPA. I haven't tried it yet. It's Coastal Good Life. It is Christmas Eve. And his friends, his friends... <laughs> Uh, just oh. over there. <laughs> so
0: so for any, everyone's benefit, uh, Rick and I went to a craft beer festival a couple of weeks ago, and it looks like it, the marketing rubbed
2: off on him. There's going to be some dead soldiers in the corner there. Oh, they're
4: already dead. Those are from weeks past.
2: Um, I, I've been on a
4: research mission to find out what the heck is so special about craft brews. And, I, you know, I don't mind drinking a brew every once in a while, but it's not necessarily my favorite thing to do every day. Um, but uh, I've learned a lot over the last, when was it, Dave, back in mid-November, you and I went to that show?
0: It was, uh, I don't believe it was the weekend of American Thanksgiving. I think it was the week before, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, because I was I was in the states the week of American Thanksgiving. Okay. Um. But yeah, so so every once in a while I'll stop off at the liquor store and grab a couple of uh, couple of cans and trying them out. And I've definitely got my favorites. Anyways, I thought I'd share that today. <laughs> we- this is my first one, by the way. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, um, I don't remember reading any fine print with YouTube about drinking on the air, so we'll. Uh- I think it's fine. There you go. Um, So um, we've been uh, talking about the 2019 and we've been talking about the year ahead. And um, so what, what sort of things have you, well, Mark, I I forgot to ask you the question. What do you see coming for the year ahead in the coaching world?
2: Mm, Um, Voice. I think a really big trend, which I'm doing myself, I'm hopping on the whole mastermind bandwagon. Uh, so that's i uh, I've heard the word mastermind more in the last few months than I probably had the last the previous few years before that. So I think that that's um, now of course mastermind that term gets jumbled and I think a lot of them aren't true masterminds. It would mm-hmm. probably be more group coaching. But I'm starting mastermind in January and I know a number of peers who are as well. Uh, it's funny I hear people saying that the coaching world is oversaturated. There's too many coaches and I view it differently. I say more people are knowing what coach. Coaching is now, and it's becoming um, more accepted in the mainstream. So I think that right now it's just the tip of the iceberg. It, there's a lot of growth to be had with it. So I'm excited. Yeah.
0: Do you ever go on Quora.com? I do. Yes. So there was someone posted a question there the other day, and it, and it was a woman who asked, "How can I af- how can I grow my business if I can't afford a business coach?" Hmm. And and I was I read the question. And I was like. Wow. That's interesting. So, so here, you know, to your point about more people learning about coaching, this is a person who was actually thinking that it was a, a necessary thing. Right. And, and other people had answered the question before I saw it. And people were putting things like, well, you know, there's been, people have been growing businesses before there's been business coaches and stuff, you know, do some reading, get a mentor, stuff like that. Um, but it's interesting how it, the terminology really is starting to, to spread, you know, and, 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 perpetuate everything.
2: It is. And, um, it, it, me, uh, without getting into my whole uh, interesting backstory, Dave and Rick, as you know, I was in real estate before and uh, went through a messy business closure, but a few years before that happened, a coach came into my office and I had no clue what the heck coaching was. Right. And he, he wanted to work with me and me being, you know, 20 something, Full of piss and vinegar, think I knew everything. I thought, like, gee, take a look around, buddy. Why would I need a coach, you know? And shoot him away. A couple of years later, uh, you know, as I'm, I'm uh, in a different position, going through the business closure. I thought, God, I wish I had taken him up on that offer. Now, assuming he was good, of course, maybe he wasn't, but. uh, that could have saved me a lot of heartache and and headache, having a good coach in my corner back then. So I always remember that story and I pass it along to people when the business owner says, well, why would I need a coach? They're worried about payroll, office lease, all that. A good coach is going to give you many times over, um, you know, for your uh, return on investment. A good coach, of course, not a mediocre coach. Uh,
0: Absolutely. You know uh, it's interesting because um, you know, I've known you for years. And Rick, you and I talk on the phone all the time. We talk about things going on in our businesses. Um, But I became part of a formal coaching arrangement back in July. And, you know, I hesitated to write the check. Um, There was no check. I paid with a credit card on an online form. But, you know, um, and um, within the first three months, I can say that I've probably gotten back three to four times what I invested. And what it has done for me in my business is I, I I like to create and I enjoy creating and the the coaching process allowed me to focus on the things that I was already doing that were working really well and to to sort of double down on what already works and make maybe grow things instead of spending time trying to grow new things. And so in, you know, that it was only in July and I changed my strategy for the second half of the year and uh, it worked. The things that I was focusing on have grown more. And so it's paid off for me, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, it takes uh, sometimes a second pair of eyes, you know, someone uh, away from you, because I found most coaches are great at helping other people. <laughs> it's just with themselves that they're a little, um, they can't see the forest for the trees, right? They're too close to the situation. But when they have somebody else that's there that can point out things and I've been in the same position, Dave, with some people who I've benefited from and, and give me that different perspective. So that's where a good coach helps is, is um, sometimes you're up in your head too. I say you in general, you're up in your head too much and you can't see certain things. You have blind spots. A good coach will point them out.
4: Yeah. Hey, hey, Mark, Mark, I got a question for you. Hmm. Um, I mean, I've known you for a couple of years now and I've been following you online. Um. You, you talk about a good coach, and I stress the word good. Hmm. What's the difference between any coach and a good coach?
2: Well, um, I, I'm not in the, the school of thought where some people say the coach has to have done something that they're helping people with. Uh, that being said, if they have $8 in their bank account, they say to help people get to seven figures and beyond, there's probably a disconnect there as well. Uh, So uh, there are certain skills. I mean, a good coach is a good listener. Obviously, um, like I mentioned previously, they can help point out blind spots and, um, You know, I'm a little different. I've had people uh, say with me as well, Mark, what you do is more coach salting. It's kind of combining the two because it's not just me sitting there peppering them with questions and and that's it. I do actually give them a framework to go off to. And I say, look, I don't care really what you call it. Uh, In my view, a a coach helps someone get from point A to point B, you know, and it's not some mystical uh, art like the force in Star Wars, uh, which a lot of coaches try to make it sound like.
0: Well, I mean, in your practice, Mark, you have a lot of people who want to be like life coaches and relationship coaches and all these Mm -hmm. um, sort of uh, touchy-feely life aspect kind of things. And what you help them do is realize that they own a business. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. I always ask them, uh, why did you start a coaching business? I don't say, why are you a coach or why did you become a coach? Now, that may not seem like much a difference to say coach or coaching business, but I tie the two words together because it is a business. You're an entrepreneur first and foremost. The coaches are really bad. There's a lot of messed up feelings around money and blocks, and a lot of coaches think that you can't charge much or you're greedy Gordon Gecko, JRUing Ewing type thing. Or, or if you charge what, uh, a good amount, then you're not uh, – you're somehow – You're somehow. do I have an echo there? You guys hear an echo? A little bit of one? Okay. But basically, you, you shouldn't be like Mother Teresa. Um, you're, you should be willing and able to charge a good amount for what you're doing because you're bringing a lot of value out.
0: Yeah, if you, if you are out of business, you can't help anyone. And that's, and that's the same for any kind of business out there.
2: There's a saying, uh, if you, can't pay your, you can't light up the world if you can't pay your light bill. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll admit one of my bulbs burn out like literally an hour before we hopped out here. I, I thought I'm not going on the road to get a bulb on Christmas Eve. So it is a little dark here, but the <laughs> boat is still a good boat. Uh, that, yeah, you can't light up the world if you can't pay your light bill.
0: Well, we are pretty far north. The sun is actually setting right now.
2: Gets dark around one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon.
0: (laughs) I see Dustin just joined from Winnipeg, and uh, it's it's pretty cold. And it won't be getting dark there soon for a couple hours, I think. But um, I was talking with someone in Winnipeg the other day who said it was like minus thirty C. So it's getting it's much colder out there than it is down here for us, anyway.
2: Yeah, right around zero degrees today, I think, or minus one.
0: Yeah, I was still went out for my walk. Rick, what were some of the, uh, the highlights, uh, for you in 2019?
2: Holy cow.
4: There was a ton, Dave. Uh, we bought another business in January of 2019. And, uh, so that, uh, it was a seasonal business that generates a little over half a million dollars a year. And, uh, so that was our first season in operation. My wife joined the business and, and started working in that, in that operation. Uh, other than that, um, well, I mean, there's some downsides, but upsides at the same time. So it's hard to explain which is which, uh, or understand which is which. So we had a, uh, we had a devastating fire at one of our businesses and uh, it shut us down for most of the year. So right now I have three restaurants on the go. Uh, one has been shut down due to a fire. And uh, just dealing with that and understanding, you know, not only the legal ramifications, but insurance law, bank law, a lot of different things have come at me that I didn't really understand before. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and just, and just putting it in perspective. And I learned something, I was talking to the RCMP and I haven't talked to you about this yet, but I I learned something about uh, private equity firms and it was really interesting to understand. I'm a big learner, right? So learning about private equity and, and i have a finance background so understanding how that kind of works and how they're in the how they're in the market and they're buying up some of these bigger corporations in our local towns it was interesting and understanding how they're trying to what their goal is as a private equity firm so anyways mm-hmm. just a, a huge year in learning um, but yeah we did we did open another business and we lost one to a fire but 2020 just makes me decide if we're going to what we're going to do with that business um, whether we're going to rebuild, whether we're going to pivot, um, if we're going to evolve and, and grow past the, the original operation that was there, there's just a lot of questions that I don't have answers to today, but, uh, yeah, 2020 should be cool.
0: You know, it's interesting what you say about, about insurance, because I mean, I've been in business before and I was told get, you insurance or get liability insurance and you go talk to the broker. And of course you start to talk about price and they put forms in front of you, you and sign them. Right. Yep. And it's it's only when something like this comes up that you start to wonder what all those words were, you know, that, <laughs> that you put your name under, and and uh, you know, I've got a, a friend who's in the construction business, and they had a tower crane up in Halifax when Hurricane Dorian came through, and it fell over, and it, it crashed into a, a building, uh-huh. and all of a sudden, then the words in their insurance were very very important, and they're covered. And, the, you know, the property will be repaired and the crane will be replaced and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be okay. But do you know what they found in their insurance coverage? What's that? They, they found that there was, a, there was a clause saying that the insurance didn't cover any faults or failings in engineering work that their firm did. Because they're a construction firm. But they're owned by an engineer who does an engineering all the time so they, they found out because of this mishap with the crane that they were, they were exposed in ways they never even understood. And so they, they fixed it. They bought a better insurance policy, but you know, without really getting into understanding what, you know, hazards may exist and what you're actually covered for. I, it was scary. You know, the, when he was telling me the story, it was, it was frightening. Well, I mean, and if you do not even, I'm you, not even in the business. Well, exactly. And, and I've, I've learned more about insurance
4: in the last six months than I ever wanted to learn. I didn't get in the insurance business. Um, but simple things like if you have a business and it's operating in a different way than you originally intended it to, your insurance might not cover you.
0: Wow. wow. So, so what, kind of, what kind of variation might cause that? Because in that business, it was a seafood business, but you introduced like ice cream and stuff like that. That. yeah
4: so l- let's say let's say i had because i did have extra space in that building let's say i had converted that space into uh, a lumber yard like whatever brewery. right How about uh, a micro a microbrewery micro great example a so I, I can uh, or what a brothel, oh, <laughs> <my goodness. laughs> brothel right? now, that's illegal mark my we can't stop. do that <laughs> nothing will cover us in illegal activities um but in a microbrewery, so if I decided to build a microbrewery and we were in the process of building it up um, and a devastating thing like a fire happened, uh, my, I might not be covered. If, especially if my insurance wasn't aware of that extra extension that I had, that I had uh, decided to, you know, to renovate in my building. Um, when, when we had the fire, the first thing they asked me, was there anything in this room that wasn't part of your operations? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, did you have anything in here that wasn't part of restaurants? So did you have any two by four that, you know, you were just storing in here? I'm like, well, why would I have two by four? They're like, well, we just need to know. Come to find out after I did my research, they wanted to know if I had any flammable substance in there that would have caught fire. And then I would be liable for the fire instead of them, you
2: know, insuring me.
0: Yeah, because they're looking for an opportunity to reduce the check they have to write, aren't they?
4: That's right. Yep.
0: Yep.
2: I remember the story about Thomas Edison uh, when his uh, laboratory burnt down. And it was his whole life work. Like how many thousands of patents did the man have and everything else? And uh, as it was uh, being consumed with flames, uh, his uh, family or whatever said, you know, what now? And he said, well, tomorrow we rebuild. And I thought, wow, that's uh, that would be... A, a, kudos to him for having that uh, point of view or that mentality, but that's tough when you're watching, he's watched his whole life work going up in flames. Uh, so yeah, good luck with it though, Rick. I heard about it on the news, so it's crazy.
4: Yeah, it, ours is a little bit different situation than than Edison's, but um, yeah, I mean, the the real issue we have to decide on is, is it worth rebuilding? I mean, I want to rebuild, but is it worth it at this point? Yeah.
0: And, and then there's, there's questions of like, because uh, bu- the, the building at one time was a hardware store or something, wasn't it?
4: Many, many moons ago, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so if, you, if you are faced with starting from scratch, does that mean there's an opportunity to, to reorient the property, build a, a building that makes more sense or, or whatever?
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there's nothing but positive that's going to come out of this. I mean, it was devastating and it was somewhat shocking. Uh, but when we look at the opportunity and behind it, so, so your listeners are aware Dave, we were, we were, um, a victim of arson and someone has decided to burn down our business, not once, not twice, but three times. And, and it happens. It's the first time something like this has ever happened to me, but I've heard of these stories before from, from different, you know, entrepreneurs and different biographies that you read. And, And this question is, okay, we want to rebuild, but at what point? Are we going to take that risk with this unknown arsonist out there? And so there is one idea that we're playing with right now of taking a, uh, a trucking container, you know, they're made out of steel and, uh, and put it on the site and, you know, try to burn that down. mofo
0: <laughs> uh, well,
2: I hope he's not watching. I don't want you know want I don't
0: care. Hey Mark, bring it on, baby. <laughs>
2: hey.
0: Henry Lopez was talking about the small audiences. There you go. That's that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and what about the Wizard of Ads stuff? And and maybe why don't you tell everyone a little bit about Roy H. Williams for people that don't know? Oh God,
4: where do I start? I mean, Roy Roy is a marketing genius. Um, he, uh, has three books on the New York times bestseller list, um, uh, that he basically converted his blogs back in the eighties to, to a book. And, uh, and then from those books sprung out wizard Academy and Roy was doing marketing consulting. And eventually he realized that one day he wasn't going to be able to do the consulting that he wanted to do, but he wanted to, he wanted his philosophies and his theories to continue on. So we started bringing on partners and the partners are now kind of like prophets for his apostles. And uh, so we go down there a couple times a year and hang out with Roy and learn new things and get access to some of the new things that he is studying.
0: And this is all in uh, Austin, Texas. It's all in
4: Austin, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then take that information and, and apply it back to our own client list. So we're, it's not a franchise, it's more like an affiliation. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you know, there's a, a percentage of, of fees that go back to the home office of what we charge our clients. But basically, it has allowed Roy to touch multiple countries all over the planet working with his partners.
0: Yeah, no, That's really cool. And so, so what kinds of businesses uh, have you been working with?
4: Uh, well, because I'm in the restaurant business, it's easy to get into retail, right? So mm-hmm. we've been working a lot with retail. I, I have one consultant that I was working with on the restaurant side. So he was building um, galleys on ships and uh, he was working primarily with the Canadian Navy and uh, doing some other things with shipbuilding. And uh, so we were helping him uh, really clarify his message. You know, he only has potentially five customers in Canada. So he really needs, you know, it's not like we're going to go on the radio and talk about his message. He's just got to be clear that when, when his potential customers sees or hears of him, that they remember him. Yeah. So those are pretty much it at this point. Um, I've got my, my partners have tons of clients in plumbing and air conditioning and ice cream, which is kind of cool because I love ice cream almost as much as I love beer. And um, yeah, uh, Roy's, Roy's done a ton of work on jewelry. Uh, like, like the, uh, the different jewelers, uh, selling diamonds and, and gold bracelets and so on.
0: It, it's, it's funny cause you and I went to the craft beer, uh, event. We tasted a whole bunch of different kinds of beer from all these little microbreweries. Yeah. And then I wrote an email to my email list, which hopefully everyone signs up for because the holiday chat recordings start getting released tomorrow and it only goes to people on the list, davidcbarnettlist.com. Um, I sent out an email to the list talking about how the number of mer- microbreweries here where we live has gone from 28 to 60 in a year. Yep. A year. Yep. And that email gets sent out on Twitter. And so one of my Twitter followers who lives in Vermont replied to it. And he said that he was asked to look at four different failing microbreweries in the past 12 months. And so you know, th- there there definitely are certain jurisdictions where there's you know a saturation point's been reached, and and there there just isn't enough room for more um, different stuff. I guess.
4: Well, it was funny because I just heard on a podcast yesterday the emergence of microbreweries, especially on the east coast of Canada, fall in line perfectly with local local purchases, and and they're attributing it to the hipster movement. Mm-hmm. Which I thought sense. was really interesting because it does make sense. So, you know, just the millennials and the hipster movement just taking over another piece of our lives.
2: Okay, boomer. No,
0: just kidding. <laughs> I'm not. I'm an axe, man. I'm an
2: axe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you know what's funny though is because we're all close to the same age, all three of us. And when I was in university, there there was a, a different group that we were a part of. They used to call it Gen Y. And if you recall, they were saying the difference between generation X and generation Y is that generation Y graduated university the year the boomers started to retire. Because one of the defining characteristics of generation X is that they were getting out of college with their degrees, but the management positions of the big companies were still filled with the baby boomers. Uh And so there was no room for the Xers to kind of get into the corporate uh, ladder. And so that's where you ended up with the, the first college educated people having to go to Starbucks and McDonald's and kind of doing these uh, wage roles where, you know, they, they were all expecting to get better careers. And then uh, a year or two before I graduated from university, that's when the boomers started to retire. And then all of a sudden, you know, things opened up and the, the poor generation Xers, you know, their degrees were years old and they didn't have relevant experience. And so these new kids my cohort out of university were able to get right into those corporate positions. And, and then they changed it. The millennials made such a loud noise. They got rid of generation Y. And I think that <laughs> we need our own generation again, because I feel special.
4: <laughs> well, you know, there's a, if you read anything about gen, generational theory, they'll tell you that gen X is going to be the silent generation. So we're basically getting skipped over. We're not going to do anything significant.
0: Again,
2: (laughs) again, small
0: podcast audiences, right? (laughs) I don't agree
4: with those statements, but that's the theory.
2: (laughs) Now, Dave, I'm wondering if I'm past my time. I just got lucky and I've been on for almost an hour as well. So I don't want to cut into uh, Rex. No, it's,
0: it's, it's, we're getting to the time that we had planned anyway. So, um, you know, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we just start wrapping it up? Um, Rick, what, uh, what does your crystal ball hold for 2020? What do you think are going to be some of the big trends for the coming year?
4: Just general trends. Yeah.
0: Um, that's a great question, Dave. Um,
4: well, I, I know that labor force is still shrinking and we're still going to have some major problems. I'm not sure it's going to be solved in 2020, but there has to be some more automation at the service level of things. Uh, When you look at McDonald's and other fast food joints moving to automation and and having, you know, an iPad or a cellular phone mobile order happen, um, that's going to continue to alleviate the pressure of the workforce, definitely. Um, I think there's going to be a move on the food side to, again, this whole microbrewery, the slow food movement, I think, is going to come back. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see this hipster type thing that's going on with beers and, and locally owned foods to, to make a comeback. Um, I mean, I think, you know, if we look at the market, we're more affluent than we've ever been and we have more money and, uh, we don't need to spend on $12 burgers at McDonald's. We'll spend it on, you know, $25 steaks at some local place.
0: Uh, did you see the wall street? Did you see the wall street journal article that came out a couple of days ago? Um, no it was a big article and it was about um, down at the Los Alamos National Laboratory um, where they have a lot of hazardous waste from nuclear type experimentation. Uh, They've had such a hard time finding employees that they've decided to introduce what they're calling worker employee boot camps um, where they teach people how to do the jobs. And I think it's funny because it's, it's the application of all this sort of, trendy words to talk about employers training their employees how to, do the, how to do work, which which is the oldest thing ever because you're talking about apprenticeship, right? Yeah, Where yeah. You, you find a bright, capable, enthusiastic person and you teach them how to do the job.
4: Oh, and I saw something yesterday and I don't know if you're aware of this. I was blown away. Um, recycling. We, we, we've been talking about recycling now for 40 years, right? The first Earth Day was in the 80s. And did you know that China actually was importing 79% of all plastics for recycling? And
0: I, I knew it start, headed over in that direction, yeah.
4: And at the start of this year, the government of China has banned any future importing of plastics?
0: Well, this is why you're seeing a movement towards cities and provinces and states banning single-use plastics. Um, yep. The city of St. John, um, they announced that, that um, the recycling program wasn't going to accept the grocery bags anymore. Um, but all the major grocery chains around here have said that they're going to get, phase them out in January anyway.
1: Um,
0: yep. you know, there's, there's no market for it to go to anymore. The, it, it, there's no place for it to be recycled here. And quite frankly, um, you know where, where the three of us live anyway, we're in the middle of the woods. I mean, there are pulp mills, there are sawmills producing sawdust, which is turned into pulp. Why aren't we using paper bags? Right on. Right? And, and then and we know that they'll decompose.
4: Well, in this article that I was reading, pl- plastic bags actually aren't even recycled anyways. They actually only take the, the bigger, heavier plastic jugs, like for laundry and so on. And so it was only 9% of all plastics is actually being recycled. It's insane, right? And I'm, I think there's going to be a move now that China has basically said, we're not accepting this. Mm-hmm. Somewhere else in the world, Malaysia, it looks like they're trying to get involved in it. Not sure if they will or not, because the government's getting pushed back from their citizens. Uh, but somewhere in North America, they're the biggest culprit, right? North American, we're just pigs when it comes to plastic. And, and at some point, I think someone's going to figure out how do I recycle this here locally instead of shipping it overseas
0: Hmm. or we'll stop using them
2: and to play, I, play advocate though when it comes to the whole climate like uh, not to get political Dave I haven't got political yet today but yeah if you look overall when it comes to carbon footprint and everything else India and China are by far the worst you know offenders uh, so it's great that we're taking steps um, you know the US has reduced its uh, carbon emissions I forget what percent or whatever but until those big guys start doing something over there doesn't matter I, I refuse to drink with a paper straw I'll um, just say I'm done I'm I'll drink from this, I guess. Uh, But yeah, I'm not going to ditch my plastic straws. I admit it. (laughs) I
0: have some stainless steel ones. They work really well. Well, Mark, Mark, you're
4: absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the world population, three million of the three billion of the seven point five billion people on the planet live in those two countries. And I agree with you in terms of you know environmental change. Until you can get those two countries on board, everything we do is just it's microscopic.
0: So before we started today, I, I, for some reason thought that there might be periods of silence where people didn't know what to say or talk about. So I looked up a bunch of articles that I thought were interesting. And one of them is about the environmental impact of streaming like Netflix and Disney plus and everything. And it's starting to become an issue because when, when you're watching a movie at your house and then i start watching the same movie 5 minutes later it's they on old broadcast networks that was one ah. emission of data going to everybody but now there's a server sending bits to you and a server sending bits to me and the, the in order to support all these streaming services the the footprints and the size of these data farms has just been growing like crazy and they generate a lot of heat and they use a lot of energy and so it's, it's actually starting to register as, you know, when they look at the industries that are using energy and polluting, um, information is starting to appear as one of these things. It, 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 I, I was taken aback by it. I didn't really think of it that way because I, of course, I just think about a computer sitting on my desk and I know it doesn't use very much wattage, but and this the other end of the communication network is using a huge amount of power.
2: So, blame Baby Yoda for all the problems, right? With the climate. Mm-hmm. It's all Baby Yoda's fault.
0: Right. If we banned memes, we could cut down on half the streaming.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I hey, listen. I streaming services now, too. So, uh, that's what people are saying. It's going to eventually go back to cable once everybody <laughs> gets together. But I've got Disney Plus, I've got uh, Amazon Prime, I've got Netflix. I can't keep track of all of them, but
4: yeah well 15 years ago i read an article and i haven't looked back on it but it was talking about white noise and all these all these uh frequencies that were on the radio that used to be able to have access to like they're they're totally ready for wi-fi and all this stuff's going to come through wi-fi maybe one day who knows but you know dave you know there's there's things that are said about not in my backyard you know let's fix the garbage problem but don't put it in my backyard I'll be the first to say if people are having a problem with heat of these servers, put it in my backyard because in the wintertime, I'd love to have that
0: heat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Your your viewer from Winnipeg, he'll take all them. Well, I didn't want to put it on
0: him. Right.
4: I didn't want to put it on him. I'll take it in my backyard, (laughs) but I'm sure Winnipeg could use it too
0: all right guys uh i think this was a lot of fun thank you for joining and thanks for the viewers who are watching and everyone who watches the recording afterwards and if you have to do some traveling over the holidays maybe this is something that people can listen to on the way i don't know but uh, i had a lot of fun today and um i'm gonna go watch star wars
4: <laughs> well, i'm gonna advice. finish this beer see what it says <laughs> go. coastal good life Sippa
2: you go. Beer. I'm the only Canadian that hates beer. I hate beer, coffee. I'm going to lose my Canadian citizenship.
4: I revoke it right now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> beer and coffee. I'm the only Canadian that hates both. Yeah.
4: And you don't like maple syrup either, do you?
2: I like hockey, so there I'm safe. But <laughs> there you go. Wine, wine's okay, but that's uh, yeah, that's it.
0: All right, everyone. Have a great thanks, Dave, and a merry thanks. Christmas. And I hope Santa finds you all.
4: Merry Christmas guys. Thanks, Dave.
0: All right. Bye-bye.